Well, I can see that the Dungeon of Doom and the four horsemen are now together representing World Championship. Here comes the Giant. Look out, NWO. Thank God for the Giant. Never thought we would hear it. The Giant is going to have their lunch. The Giant is in the building. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tired of this stuff, this DTA stuff. Oh, no. Don't trust anybody. He's got to go. You know why? You better learn to trust somebody right now. Oh, uh, no. We got no way out. It's either you trust him or you don't. Look at what? me in the eye. You know I'm. What in the world is going on? I know I can trust you. I know I can trust you. I know that you can trust him. I know I can trust him too. Look, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at you. Everything's going to be okay. No. That stings while he's talking to DBS. Hey, no. Hey, stay right there. Stay right there. No. Six days for this. I gotta hear this, but you better make it short and sweet. All I gotta is I'll make it real short. All I gotta say is it was not me on Monday night. It wasn't me, Lex. Well, I'll tell you what. We got a war games right now. I saw you. I looked you right in the face before you cheap shot at me. And Stinger, I know it was you. I can't believe you, and I don't believe you. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people that never doubted the Stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. Hey, hey, welcome back to the first ever NWO Monday Nitro. The one singular mistake I ever made was bringing Hulk Hogan into WCW. And Hogan and the rest of you thugs, because that's all you are, you thugs. You want to come in here? You want to try to stop WCW? Well, we've worked too hard, we've worked too long. And gentlemen, and I use that word very carefully because... It really doesn't apply. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Listen to me and listen to me now. It is going to stop. No more. Tony, Larry, take it back.
Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to September of 1996 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is your WWF show looking at In Your House. Volume 3 it looks at all your ECW action for the month. And Volume 4 takes us to UFC for the latest UFC show. I'm being joined firstly by Rory McNamara. Rory, good evening. Hi, And to Brian Barrera. Brian, good afternoon. Hey, guys. Uh, Brian, starts off with the news. The Giant became the latest big name to join the NWO as the group swelled in size from four people from the end of August to nearly ten now. After attempts to get the British Bulldog in failed and the company couldn't get clearance for the one two three kid, they decided the Giant was a better option for the alternatives. By the end of the month, along with the Giant, the group had recruited Cobra, now playing a fake sting gimmick, the Nasty Boys, the one two three kid, now called Six, Driver, racing driver Kyle Petty and, and Virgil now playing a character called Vincent. Nitro went off the air on September 30th with the group attempting to recruit Miss Elizabeth. A week after recruiting the Giant, the NWO appeared to have gotten to Sting 2 with a well-executed angle involving the former Cobra. But while it came off well, it actually led to a huge exodus in viewers as nearly three quarters of a million homes turned Nitro off during the 15 minutes that followed. All this, the angle seemingly continued as planned. The real Sting ended up abandoning Team WCW at Fall Brawl before cutting a promo on Nitro the next night, declaring himself a free agent and telling those who doubted his loyalty to stick it. Fall Brawl featured WCW's strongest in-ring pay-per-view in a long, long time, right until a flat couple of main event matches. A hot Carolina crowd that largely seemed to cheer who they recognized more than faces and heels got treated to a near-flawless undercard. There were wins for Diamond Dallas Page, Ice Train, Conan, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Harlem Heat. Unfortunately, once the big boys got involved, the quality decreased quite a lot. The Giant defeated Randy Savage and Team NWO, including Fake Sting, defeated Team WCW, when Lex Luger gave up in the Scorpion Deathlock. The show went off the air with the NWO beating up Randy Savage. It was quite the expensive month for the NWO. Following the Giants turn, he and Hogan ended up destroying the commentary desk and set, which may have cost up to $40,000 to replace. Later in the month, it's reported that the Giants actually had to buy a Cadillac that the NWO smashed up in an angle on Saturday night. They rented a car, but with an agreement only a certain amount of damage would be done. And as Giant did most of the damage, Randy Savage, WCW contract, is rumored to be up soon. He'll be facing Hollywood Hogan in the main event of Halloween Havoc next month. With WCW talent in Japan on September 23rd, the second half of Nitro was turned into NWO Monday Nitro. While it was an entertaining hour, the ratings dropped by an entire point, and most of those didn't turn over to Raw, who are doing their own fake angle with Diesel and Razor. With that being said, there were currently plans to have NWO regularly have their own part of WCW Saturday night shows. And a bit of admin before we get into the news. We are now officially on Patreon. For those of you who want to chuck a couple of bucks, a couple of quid our way, we're offering five bucks a month for quote-unquote early access to podcasts. Not this one because this is the final one of the month. But the others we take throughout the month, if you'd like to say a thank you, we are in part of 
who are the shows that go up online when they're ready rather than at the end of the month. I'll plug that more at the end, but if you'd like to find out more, the link is in the description or you can go to patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. Now on to the ratings for the month. Raw was preempted on September the 2nd. Nitro did a 4.2 in its absence and Championship Friday Raw did a 1.8 for the WWF. The rating story for the rest of the month saw Nitro hammer Raw every week. On September the 9th, Nitro did a 3.7 to Raw's 2.4. On September the 16th, coming off a of full brawl, Nitro did a 3.7 to Raw's 2.1. Raw bottomed out at 2.0 against Nitro's 3.4 on September the 23rd, coming off of In Your House and the anticipated reveal of Ramon and Diesel. Hear about more about that in Volume 2. Ric Flair impersonation. They are arguing right now with Nick and they're going after Nick Patrick. And evidently the argument has gone from the locker room area all the way outside and look at Nick Patrick go and he's headed to the limo no no he didn't he took a right no and Ted DiBiase has gotten into the limo Ted DiBiase oh what is this now oh look at that Sting just threw a brick through the windshield oh things are getting out of hand now Sting just threw a cement block through the windshield and they're stealing a cop car right out loud We opened Nitro on September the 2nd with a recap of last week's NWO paint job. Dallas Page beats Alex Wright with a diamond cutter. Post-match, Gene Oakland interviews Nick Patrick. Gene talking, taking fabulous offence at being called a liar. Patrick obviously called the Gene's hotline. Marcus Bagwell pedals the new Nitro denim shirt at $39.95. Ted DiBiase again comes out during the Harlem Heat and Greg Valentine Buddy Valentino match. Booker getting the win with the Harlem sidekick. The Nasties come out post-match to spike Booker and beat Stevie Ray around ringside. Mike Tenay joins Tony Giovanni and Larry Zabisco for Malenko vs Jericho. A fast start from Jericho gets some ECW chance. Midway through, the camera cuts to DBRC leaving. The crowd get back in the match as the two go fast. Tenay adding to the call. Jericho gets the win and ringside fans embrace him. Brad Armstrong gets a go at the Giant, getting in a couple of drop kicks for the Chokeslam gets the win for the Giant. The camera's cut to the parking lot and we see the limousine before another NWO paid for commercial. Hogan goes solo and we build to war games. Bischoff and Heaton take the desk for hour two, running down the Outsiders and DBRC for the past few weeks. Ron Studd comes out for another squash. Unlike last week, it's a game macho man who gets the win. That'll end Studd's push then, eh? The Outsiders leave the limo. We cut to Sting and Luger entering the ring to face the Steiners. Out back, the horsemen then ambush the limo to see who was in it, but it was empty. Nick Patrick's heel turn takes another twist, throwing out the Steiner match after Luger bumps into him. Rick and Scott get the DQ win to a large amount of booze. The entire Dungeon of Doom and the four horsemen make their way to the ring for the main event. McMichael and Bob Rogers brawl to start, then the Barbarian and Benoit have a chop-off. Bischoff announces the local police department have arrived. Cameras cut to Sting and Luger bricking the black limo before commandeering a cop car. Yes, that really happened. Benoit and Sullivan go in the ring. It starts to break down with Randy Anderson just about managing to control it. The two teams go it with Flair pinning Sullivan, one with the assist. Outside, out come the outsiders and Hogan to wreak havoc. Giant comes out to make the save, but then chokeslams the Dungeon of Doom before high-fiving the NWO. Savage tries to better them, but gets worked over with a chair. 
The ring gets trashed by the crowd again and the men in black see off anything trying to get in. The NWO take over the commentary desk and an arena-wide brawl breaks out and the desk gets destroyed as we go off the air. Is there any question now? Who is the most powerful man in professional wrestling? Is there any question now? What is the most powerful organization in professional wrestling? We got a hold of the giant. We straighten this head out. And now, there's not four. There's not five. Mr. DiBiase. Ha, 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 ha. Tell him, big man. I got a phone call while I was sitting home at my modest house. Ted DiBiase called me. And he says, I want to talk to you about business. Can you fly to Florida? I said, yes, I can, because I am about business. I walked into a 25,000-square-foot home, the home of Hulk Hogan. There was that. Spit on it for me. When I walked into this house, there wasn't one Harley-Davidson in the garage. There were 20 Harley-Davidsons. There wasn't one Mercedes. There was five Mercedes. A couple of Vipers. I walked around this big home and got dizzy. See you later, boys. Come on, big man. Anything less, come on. so rudely interrupted the point I was getting to is I was dizzy walking around this mansion, a 25,000 square foot mansion brother, time I turned around everything I showed you you can have, you wanted a part in Arnold Schwarzenegger's new movie Hollywood, Hulk Hogan got it for you and the bottom line is brother (laughs) just to quote somebody, a stupid little man whether you like it or whether you don't like it, it's the best thing going today. The N-W-O. Man. I stood down at a table. Now, we come back in. Before we start discuss now and then the Sting thing, I think we're going to discuss after the pay-per-view because that continues on a bit and we don't really want to discuss it twice. Um, but we come to Nitro on September the 2nd, uh, obviously the week after the show at the end of August where Ted DiBiase came out and said, there's four of us now, next week there will be five. Now, the idea for this, and it, as it has been for a while, was that the fourth guy, well, the fifth if we count in DiBiase, was going to be the one, two, three kid. Now, he'd been away from the WWF for a while, um, but his debut kept getting delayed because they couldn't get clearance from the WWF for him to start. The WWF had to kind of formally grant his release, and they hadn't done that yet. Um, and so within the week leading up to um, the show, they were 
looking around trying to find a, another alternative. And the name that came to mind, believe it or not, was the British Bulldog, as we briefly mentioned in the news. Now, Bulldog, as we know, I think in June, ha- kind of handed in his notice with the WWF, not with the viewpoint that he was necessarily going to leave, with the viewpoint that if he handed in his notice, his contract wouldn't roll over. And so effectively, his contract would expire and he would have options. Now, WCW was one of those options, um, but Vince McMahon, I think, fearing what might happen if another big name gone, uh, had gone to uh, WCW, was able to eventually come to terms with a deal with Bulldog. Now, WCW thought that was going to happen, and it didn't. So they got a couple of days to go, and they're like, eh, we kind of promised a big angle here, a kind of a, a big name. Who do we go with? And Brian, they went with the Giant. I think it was a good choice. I think that that actually gives them a nice shot in the arm, even though the giant on that Nitro where it's revealed that he's the new NWO member, he he's not really that uh, good on the microphone, I've come to find out. When he's not having to scream, <laughs> he can't really do too much. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it was Hogan being Hogan, but the, the giant promo at the end, I think Hogan thought... Mm, this is maybe starting to go a bit awry. I'll cut him off. Rory? Um, I was really digging the giant sort of pseudo quasi semi babyface run, actually. So in that respect, it came as a bit of a disappointment. But as you say, Bob, they promised something big, pun I'm sure intended. And I think with all the available options as they stood at that point... Uh, I think Giant was the uh, the only logical choice. And the turn was uh, fairly well done. Uh, the only real problem was um, he was cheered to the rafters for attacking the Dungeon of Doom. Because, uh, quite frankly, who wouldn't be? <laughs> well, true, true. Yeah, I, and you know, the NWO as a whole managed to bring to an end a Dungeon of Doom match. Which, if that's making baby faces, I don't know what will. <laughs> um, but from... Uh... I mean, from a, a roster standpoint, I mean, we would sat here last month talking about Giant kind of being, you know, the next mega baby face. That was kind of my view. I know they'd already done Giant and Hogan, basically it's two heels at Hog Wild. Um, but I was looking at that and going, yeah, give it a couple of months, shift some things around. And the NWO are going to need a big name to go against. I kind of thought he was going to be, you know, number one was, was my kind of thought. Um, you know, and yes, there is a point to an extent who else could they have done? And there's no obvious candidate. Apparently they discussed Sting, they discussed Luger, um, they probably discussed Flair and guys like that. Um, none of those seem great. Uh, we'll discuss Sting later in the show. Um, but I, Roy, really, I just don't know. It, it, like the, the the bigger problem, and we're probably going to have more discussion about this at the end, is that. This is a zero-sum game. For every guy you take from one side, if if the new NWO member has to come from inside WCW, you remove a guy from the WCW side and build up the NWO, which in Hogan's case made perfect sense. And in some of the other switches we've seen since, make a lot of sense. Nasty boys go across, things like that. That kind of works. But with the Giant, it felt like the NWO are now extremely strong, and WCW are, are a lot weaker. So this goes back to what I said when the NWO formed a couple of months ago when I was on the pod then. it's For the NWO to be a serious threat, they've got to have big names in there, no doubt about it. But on the other side of the coin, if they load themselves with uh, huge, huge names and form world champions, etc., then nobody's going to buy WCW as fighting back against them. That was my fear two months ago when it was just... Uh, 
three. And now I'm a little bit concerned that that's where they're going. And feel even at this early stage that uh, the WCW team are effectively just a bunch of goobers. But um, they've now got to be very, very careful that they don't go that far because uh, it looks they're heading in that direction, unfortunately, and that's a worry. I think we'll discuss that more later in the show. Brian, what did you think of the angle? Because there's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of discussion backstage as to how it went down and a lot of, you know, controversy and feeling that Hogan was able to leverage a situation, surprise, surprise, where rather than the originally planned angle, which was the eight members of the collective Dungeon of Doom and Four Horsemen would be dominating the NWO and shock horror the idea that NWO might show any weakness with the idea that they would dominate the mate on three and then out would come the giant to clean house and join the NWO. While we, while the angle we got probably gave us more of a surprise in that because the NWO were on top against eight men, the giant came out and it looked like he was going to save it for WCW. And as Rory mentioned, got quite a big pop for it as a result. Um, Brian, we ended up with the NWO looking pretty dominant three on eight anyway. And then giant comes out and makes it four on eight. And it's like, and it comes back to what I said a minute ago. WCW just aren't competing right now. I completely agree with what Rory said. I actually do think that WCW is looking like a bunch of goofs at this point because I don't know if it was this Nitro or the next Nitro. You see who's within WCW's ranks, and it's the Horsemen. It's the Steiners, and then it's the Dungeon of Doom. There's Kevin Sullivan wearing a WCW Monday Nitro shirt and a bandana, you know, challenging the NWO. It, It does look completely out of place at this point. Yeah, um, I think we're going to discuss this more as the show goes on, um, both on the pay-per-view and also afterwards. But it's, you know, the balance is there to be struck. Um, It's tricky. Let's discuss it more at the end. Uh, Let's move on. We're going to do our TV reports and then we'll come back for the pay-per-view. He's not smart enough to give up. He'll sustain a broken back and think nothing of it. That's how he thinks. Steiner unsuccessful in his main strategy, which was to stay oh, oh, oh. the power move. But here comes Nick Patrick to ringside. Nick Patrick is out. Nick Patrick motioning Luger to the back. Nick See? Patrick is going after. Something's happened to Sting. The back Luger is chasing Nick Patrick. Something's happened to Sting, I bet. I heard him say, out back, out back. And there's, hold on, let's listen. I'm tired of this stuff, this DTA stuff. Oh, no. Don't trust anybody. He's got to go. You know why? You better learn to trust somebody right oh, now. Oh, no. Trust the world. Trust. We got no way out. It's either you trust him or you don't. Look at me in the eye. You know I'm... What in the world is no, going on? I know I can trust you. I know I can trust you. I know that you can trust him. I, I know I can trust him, too. Look, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at you. Everything's going to be okay. No. That stings like he's talking to DBS. Hey, no. Hey, hey, stay right there. Stay right there. No. Uh, where is he? Where's who? You know who? There's Luger. Stinger. What would Stinger be doing with me? Look, Luger. I'm standing out here oh, in a parking lot. Right right my own. No! Oh, that's it. No! That's it. Oh, that's right. Oh, no! Nice. Come on, Dennis. That's oh. right. Oh, we're in bad trouble oh, now. We're no. in bad Leave this. Sting has he's been, turned. He's been bought off by Tibiashi. It is Sting and the NWO. Oh. 
Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco welcome us by stating the power has shifted from WCW to the NWO on September the 9th. A young Super Callow makes his debut against the experienced Pat Tanaka, who still looks quite sprightly. The youngster gets the win with a top rope fuck-up, but do look up Callow's mask if you can. Rick Steiner cuts a strangely childlike promo saying he had Lex Luger beat last week. The NWO ate a ped air paid for promotion selling a shirt which young bootleggers are shown outside the arena selling. We see footage of a Glacier debut which yes, after months of vignettes didn't even happen on Nitro. Another debut sees the return of WWS Quebecers who go up against the Nasty Boys. Jacques Rougeau and Carl Houlet start an O Canada chances some cheap heat. Nobs cracking the Montreal flag over Jacques, letting Sags get the win to deny the amazing French Canadians. Post-match, the Nasties declare their WCW. Sergeant Craig Pittman and Flash Norton have a quick submission match, but Ice Train throws in the towel. The Horseman question Luger whether Sting is where Sting is before War Games. Hoovy gets a run out against Joe Gomez. Some sloppiness doesn't stop Guerrero getting the win. Nick Patrick explains his call from last week's tag match outside the NWO paper, the parking lot. Rick Steiner and Lex Luger close out the first hour, but Luger goes out back after Nick Patrick runs to the ring and tell him it's Sting and it's called the count out. Outside, a voice that sounds like Sting is heard talking to DBRC from the limo, but as Luger arrives, the fake Sting steps out of the limo and lays the boots in alongside Hogan and DBRC, raining quite a lot. The announced team air their shock at what we just saw. Things get a bit tasty on commentary as Mike Tenet questions WCW's leadership to the chagrin of Bischoff. In ring, Rey Mysterio Jr. gets a quick win over Billy Kidman in a good TV contest. A downbeat Bischoff bemoans the latest with Sting and the public enemy take on Meng and the Barbarian. Mid-match, what seems like an overgrown leprechaun runs around the ring with very minimal comment. We cut to the Horseman and Luger with their thoughts on Sting. Back in the ring, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge bring in a table and Meng gets moonsaulted through it, which apparently isn't a DQ. The Dungeon of Doom clear the ring at the end for questioning the story with Sting. An NWO paid for promotion air showing Sting in black and white for the first time. They start to build the brand really well. The main event sees Savage take on former Shark or Earthquake, John Tenter. Macho gets beat down early but Tenter with a chair to, gets Tenter with a chair to even the match up. Again, no disqualification. Like last week, Savage gets called to the back, this time by Teddy Long. One limo leaves as Savage arrives, but the WCW roster then go about tagging the second with leftover spray paint. A heartfelt promo from Heenan and Tanae leaves an impression promo from the Horseman, leaving Bischoff to question the decision to ever bring Hulk Hogan to WCW as we lead into war games. You listen hard in the background, you can almost hear the ringing of cash registers. I thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. Uh, we're back here, all of us very, I guess, very mixed up right now. Emotions are running high. Lex Luger, I tried talking to him. He's beside himself. Arn Anderson, for the record, maybe you can sort out what we saw earlier on out in the parking lot here on Nitro. I'm not disturbed that Luger lost a friend. I'm not sad that I lost a teammate. I guess what I am is standing here in shock because the only constant sting over the last 10 years since they actually bought the company was you. People went here, people went there, people changed attitudes. The only one thing that you could always count on was Sting. Sting was the constant. I got a sick feeling in my stomach. 
I mean, Shaq, I guess the only thing I can say for the first time in my life is I'm out of words. I'm speechless. But Luger, I got to have an answer. What, what the hell is going on? Is everybody selling out these days? Who can you trust? You want answers for me? I don't have any answers. My best friend in the whole world out there that stinking, soaking rain just stabbed me in the back, Arn. And you know what? That makes this match the biggest match. Right before the biggest match of my career and everybody else is in here. It makes me want to be in that match all the more. It makes me, gives me the incentive that I've wanted. And let me tell you, I'm out of here because I know where he lives. I know where he works out. It's our gym. He's been my best friend for 10 years, and I'm going to go find him right now. You know, I don't know if you can if you can still trust this consortium or not, but maybe you can touch on it very quickly. Uh, uh, Rick Flair, we're running we're running short on time. Go ahead. Me, Gene, to sort all this out. I've stood here. I've listened to it all. I'm sick of it. The confusion is over. We're the horsemen. We're Arn Anderson. We're McMichael. We're Benoit. We're Flair. And if Luger wants to ride, he can ride. We're going to war games. Hogan, Nash, Hall, Sting, when they lock the door of that cage, four of us will walk out. Four of us will pay price that only God will know about, pal. That's it. War games, we're the horsemen, and Winston Salem, by God, we're coming to town. They right. don't want the spot. I'm looking at two right now, chopping at the bit. Hollywood. We're dying for it originally. By God, maybe they'll right. end up with it. It's a fight to I'm the death. Yours, not ours. Gentlemen, let's get back to Lock you, Eric. Give me the call. Give me the call. Well, quite obviously. Back in to the pay-per-view of Rory, you can kick us off with the results. Indeed. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. Uh, Ice Train defeated Scott Norton in a submission match. Uh, Conan defeated Juventud Guerrero for the, uh, to retain the AAA uh, Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Chris Benoit defeated Chris Jericho. Uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. Jr. defeated Super Callow to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, Harlem Heat defeated the Nasty Boys to retain the WCW World Tag Team Championship. The Giant defeated Randy Savage. And in the War Games main event, the NWO team of Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and The Fake Sting defeated Team WCW of Lex Luger, Ric Flair, on Anderson and Sting. Brian, what do you think of this show? I actually agree with your uh, write-up from earlier. This show was fantastic up to the last two matches. Once you got the main event guys up and running, it, it just kind of fell apart uh, wrestling-wise. But the crowd were super into some of the stuff later on until the absolute, uh, I guess the swerve at the end that just leaves everyone in such a weird, uh, weird haze that looks just a flatliner to end the show. Rory. I agree completely with Brian. I thought for the first two hours, this show was absolutely cooking on gas and was, if it carried on in that vein, I think this would have been best pay-per-view of the year, hands down. Uh, great work, great. Uh, everyone tried hard. And a lot of the undercard matches were actually given good amount of time to tell a story. I think, uh, Matches three, four, and five. Good, uh, 13 to 15 minutes, which doesn't always happen in WCW. Uh, there were some flaws, but we'll get to those. But by and large, I was really enjoying it for those two hours. And then when, uh, let's say the powers that be got their, their little mitts on things, it, uh, it all got a bit ugly. Still got at its fair, uh, 
fair share of talking points, but uh, from an in-ring perspective, it fell off quite badly. But on the whole, this was a very, very good pay-per-view. Yeah, it was really dull. Uh, let's be honest about that. I mean, for the first two hours, this was about as near a flawless show as you will ever see. Um, now, I've got my own qualms in the sense that much of the action, while good, you know, didn't really matter. Um, and it was played out in front of a crowd that I think treated it like that too. A lot of the guys that were getting cheered on this show were just guys they'd seen before. There were a couple of very definite examples where heels were getting cheered just because they knew who they were. Um, Darn Dallas Page being one and Chris Benoit being a member of the Horsemen were in North Carolina, definitely being another. Um, but the action was always good to very good and you can't say that about very many shows. And then... We get to the final two matches and the work rate drops a lot and the talking points go up a lot. Um, and there were some very, very questionable decisions on the booking front, but we'll, uh, we'll come to those as we get to them. We start full brawl with a nice black and white video montage, surmising the NWO angle to date. Tony Schiavone is sporting quite a uh, quite striking red bow tie. Heenan and Dusty are all in black because you can come, because you come to this show for fashion reports, of course. We see clips from Saturday night at the NWO smashing up a car with baseball bats, as we reference in the news. We're in Winston Salem, North. Carolina. We open up with Diane Dallas Page versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. There's a number of NWO shirts visible in the audience already. Chavo starts with a flip dive to the outside. He continues the attack on the outside, rowing Page into the steps and whipping him with a belt. Back in the ring, Chavo stays on top with multiple arm submissions. He hits a nice tilt and well heads his attempt. Page stops it, but Chavo counters into a nice arm drag. Page hits a flying shoulder tackle from the top rope, which gets a real nice reaction. The crowd are behind him. Page goes for a suplex. Chavo counters with an inside cradle and nearly gets it. Page gets on the top with a series of rest holds. Chavo rallies, but Page gets a gas from the crowd with a nice forearm shot. Page gets Chavo's head by his crotch. Seems to insinuate something, but Chavo takes it down. Chavo comes off with the top with a nice high angle drop kick, but Page kicks out. Chavo returns to the top, hits a head scissors takedown, another late kick out. Page tries to cover using the ropes, but Chavo kicks out anyway. Page picks up Chavo and lobs him into the other ring. Uh, the other ring, obviously there's two. That gets another pop from the crowd. Shivoni says he's not sure whether the other ring counts as a count out. I'm surprised he didn't reference that it could have been a DQ also. Chavo gets a roll up for a near fall. The crowd... Oh, uh, sorry, dropped the line there. Page catches Chavo off the ropes with a spinning power bomb. That looked really nice. The crowd awed at that one, and Chavo barely kicks out. Page hits a rough-looking diamond cutter. The crowd were all over that too, and Page wins the match. Rory, normally um, not. I'm normally fairly old school. Well, I normally like to see the babyface go over in, in the open of a pay-per-view. Uh, not here. Uh, because Page is in the well, absolute... Well, hang on, hang on. The, the baby face in this match was Dom Dallas Page. Yeah, okay, indeed, yeah. I was, I was with the crowd on that one. Um, he is in the, he is in the form of his life at the moment. He is putting in some fantastic performances. It's absolute night and day from where he was even, say, 18 months ago. It's, it's all, I'd always go as far to say it is becoming a pleasure to watch him in the ring because he has worked so, so hard to try and improve himself, and it's paying dividends. He's fleshed out his moveset. He's got his character down pat. His heel selling is excellent. I'm so, so impressed with him, and I hope this means... we said this a couple of times uh, this year, actually, but I hope this really does mean a proper sustained push very soon 
at the top of a card for him. Uh, these two work very well together. I thought Chavo, Chavo, this is the first time I've seen him in a, in a decent length match. And he's fine. He's, uh, his moveset is pretty decent as well. He's pretty uh, vanilla, I've got to say. Uh, he certainly doesn't have the natural charisma of Eddie or, say, the snap of Rey Mysterio. But he's a good worker and um, he's had to showcase a lot of stuff here himself. So I thought this was an excellent choice for the opener. And, again, from a personal perspective, I'm very glad that DDP went over. This was a great start to the pay-per-view. Brian. I've said this a couple of times I've been on this show that I'm a huge fan of Diamond Ellis Page. And it's interesting to see where he is now because for the past couple of times uh, I've seen him, he's been completely all over the place when it comes to his wrestling abilities. There's a lot of over-exaggeration in his emotions and movement, but now he's more serious. And he had one or two little flops that were more aligned with like a comedy match, but for the most part, he kept it relatively serious. And I'm enjoying seeing where he's going at this point in time. With uh, Chavo Guerrero, uh, I agree with what Rory said. He's young. He doesn't really have a lot of flash to him. And they really threw him out to the wolves on this match because the crowd were completely behind Diamond Dallas Page. But they didn't turn on him. So whenever he did hit a couple high spots, the crowd were actually, you know, applauding him, which is completely different from what we saw later on with, like, a, a Super Cut Low match where, you know, the crowd didn't care. Yeah, I think it was a crowd that largely were just cheering shit they liked. And that was mainly moves. Um, and it was mainly to an extent just guys that they knew about. Um, you know, there's a fair few guys on this show that hadn't really, you know, seen much light of day in the last, you know, up until the last couple of months. And as Rory mentions, the page push really started at the beginning of 1995. Your regular viewer of WCW Saturday night page was all over that show. Um, and I think his character's been a bit inconsistent, you know. He had money, then he didn't have money, then he had it again, and now we just kind of forgot. He's, I agree, Roy. I think clearly he is turning into a very solid worker. It helps that Chavo, while green, was able to bump around for him. Um, opening match in front of a hot crowd, and he answered some questions tonight. Um, you know, it's it's another Diamond Dallas Page match in the opener, but I think it's... You know, we've had matches before where it's been him and Johnny B. Bad, and the inclination has been, well, Johnny B. Bad's really good, and Paige kind of came along for the ride. Now I think we know that Paige is contributing towards these matches. Um, you know, they're going to have to sustain a character with him. As I say, it's been a bit up and down. But he's got a finisher that people like, he's got a moveset that people like, and he's a character that they recognise. If they can get him in some proper programmes, I think the only way is up. Um, but yeah, I, I think my my main question coming out of this was: Is the crowd into Darm Dallas Page, or are they just into everything? We will see. Harlem Pete, Sherry, and Parker are badgering a typist during a CompuServe live chat. We then followed that with a detailed look at the Outsiders NWO angle. It's about six minutes long, but it is really, really good, and it is noteworthy for the only time that Mean Gene Oakland uh, was on the show. I don't know if we referenced it in the news, but Gene Oakland has technically left the company uh, at the moment, but that is just because his contract's run out. There are There is the expectation he will come back. But Mike Tanay does Gene's uh, honours for the rest of the show. We've on to Scott Norton versus Ice Train with Teddy Long. Train starts at an arm lock. Norton levels in with a big shoulder tackle. Train hits a big splash and then a slam. He goes for another slam. Norton moves, then hits the DDT. 
Train hits a big power slam. Shivoni mentions how good these two were as a tag team. He wasn't wrong. Norton locks in an armbar. Train's arm was strapped up last month. Don't forget. The hold stays in for ages. Ron gets on the apron and threatens to throw in the towel, but the ref tells him he can't. Heenan says he's not going to throw in the towel. He keeps it with him so he can shine his head. The ref has a mic with him. It's apparently a submission match I completely missed. Train hits another horrible-looking splash. Brutal, that. Norton gets up as Train sells the suffering of an elbow. Train jumps at Norton. Norton catches him and slams him as almost a release spine buster. He follows that with a Boston Crab. Heenan says, don't worry about Teddy Long. Rip off the arm. Long gets on the open again, so Norton grabs him. The distraction enables Train to lock in the full Nelson. Norton collapses down to the mat and then submits by tapping. Brian. Uh, not my favorite match on the show, but it was a good hoss battle. I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this match that, that caught my attention. Uh, there's a number of cosplayers in the audience. I don't know if you guys caught that. During this bout, there's a, a fake Razor and a fake Hollywood Hogan walking around in the crowd getting the attention of the uh, the camera. And then the previous... What was the fake Razor, Rick Bogner? <laughs> no, he was on the other show at that time, wasn't he? He was assigned oh, to the WWF, right. yeah. But, that, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. So that was kind of fun. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Dusty Rhodes has some real oddball calls during this bout because it's an I quit match. It's going to, uh, who was, who was the ref? I can't remember who the ref was. We had the microphone the entire time, you know, ask him, ask him, trying to quit the sh- quit the match. But that doesn't actually happen, which is, is so weird. At the very end, Norton ends up tapping out, but Back to my original point, Dusty at one point brings up that, you know, he's got to be a, you know, he's got to quit for the other guy. He's a good ventriloquist. And they would both look at him like, what are you saying? Ventriloquist? Like, yeah, ventriloquist. He's a guy, if he's a good ventriloquist, he could quit for him. And I was just on the ground laughing how ridiculous this match was at that point. But good power moves. I like how Tony Schiavone called a standing spine buster a power bomb, which you know, confused me. Um, but, eh, I don't know. I give it a 4 out of 10. Yeah, but more of your uh, Dusty Rhodes impression, please, Brian. Uh, Rory. First off, a fake razor. What a ridiculous idea. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, this, this, was, oh, this was all right, I suppose. Uh, I, I said uh, in my little preamble that it was good that uh, a lot of the mid-card matches were given a good 15 minutes. This only had seven minutes, and I think that was perfectly uh, ample for the quite simple story they were trying to tell. Uh, two big guys who used to be in a big guy tag team hitting each other with big guy power moves to try and get a big guy submission. And that's got its place, and it was perfectly serviceable. Um, nothing really to write home about, but uh, it was it was harmless enough. They both uh, They both tried their best. Um, other than that really odd looking splash there were no real botches and uh, it was we saw somebody win a match with a full Nelson for the first time since probably about 1973 so all's good <laughs> yeah um, yeah I think you two summed it up pretty well two big guys just beating piss out of each other for five or six minutes in a match Roy I don't recall this being a submission match until I saw the microphone uh, yep I don't or, or did they? Just thinking out. Was was it? Did they have? Um, was it there in the caption uh, when they showed the wide angle shot before the match? I can't quite remember now. It, it Put it this way: I wouldn't say that great, they didn't make particularly great play of it beforehand. I agree with that. No, they didn't. Um, and also, didn't really feel like they they thought it out. Like the ref has a microphone, then Norton submits by tapping. Um, <laughs> 
little bit. Nice match though. Um, you know, probably the worst of the first half dozen, but that's, that's more compliments how good the rest are. Anyway, we move on. Next up, it's Hooven 2 Guerrero with, versus Conan with Jimmy Hart for the Mexican Heavyweight Championship. Mike Tanay is out on commentary. Hooven 2's night hardly starts off well as he trips over the steps while getting too excited. Judging by his new gimmick, they seem to have ruined Conan into a stereotype. They offer a handshake, but Conan just starts beating him. Hoovy rolls him through, but Conan picks up with a released German suplex. Hart distracts the ref, so Conan just picks up Hoovy and dumps him over the top to the outside. Hoovy goes to the top rope of the other ring, does a triple jump in, into a takedown back in the main ring. Guerrero hits top rope onto uh, a tope, sorry, onto Conan. Guerrero jumps thumps onto the guardrail, jumps onto Conan, who catches him into a power bomb. That's really nice. Back in the ring, Conan leathers Hoovy with a clothesline. They reference recent rumours about Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. We can hear about more about that on the hotline. Surprise, surprise. Hoovy catches Conan with a head scissors between the rings and Conan flips over. Conan drops Hooven Tood on his back and then goes for a leg lock. Hoovy goes for a springboard moonsault off of the ropes, but he basically missed. Conan responds with a big-ass powerbomb. Guerrero takes a couple of German suplexes. He retreats to the outside for a breather. Who returns with a nice high-angle drop kick. We get a couple of release pin attempts. Who hits a springboard spin kick for a two. Who and two goes for a jumping something. Conan catches his legs and flings him over for a reverse German suplex of sorts. Conan dangles off of the second ropes. Guerrero hits a front flip, but Conan gets his leg tangles in the rope for a two. Shivoni praises Nick Patrick, which probably means something is coming. Hoovy hits a 450 splash from the top, only gets a two. Returns to the top, hits a spinning something, but again, only for a two. Who and two hangs out on the top. Conan again grabs his legs and slams him down. Conan puts him on top for a brain buster. That looked really nice, but they're pushing ECW here for a huge amount of big false finishes. Conan sets up for the power drop, hits it, and that will do that. Rory. Uh, well, this is certainly very ambitious. Uh, I'll give them that. Um... It felt, felt at times that the, uh, the miscounter was higher than the hit counter though. They, and Hoovy in, uh, in particular, I don't know whether he was a bit too eager to please, but he, he noticeably messed up a, a lot of stuff. <laughs> to say that the, the, the die was cast out by falling over the steps when they tried to get in the ring in the first place. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't really overlook that. So I did take marks off of that. Um, my issue with uh, with Conan is that at the moment he's, and even the commentators may play of this, is that he's neither fish nor foul at this point in time. Uh, I'm not sure if he's a Lucha Libre guy trapped in a catch-as-catch-can wrestler's body or the other way around. And it sometimes looks a little bit awkward. I don't think he really knows the answer to that question either. But um, despite uh, despite uh, the, uh, the thematic problems with this match, they did their best and pretty much succeed in overriding those by just giving us big super moves that pop the crowd. Uh, that one towards the end, which was kind of a super reverse neck brain buster. I mean, that, that's a finish in anybody's book. I mean, that was an incredible move. Although the drop bomb is, uh, is pretty good as well. So yeah, the, they messed a few things up. They probably bit more than they could chew, but they really went for it and they probably deserved, uh, deserved uh, their fortune in the end, really. So, not perfect, but a great effort from both men. And uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Brian? I agree. The whole match was great fun. I think it was Tanay who compared that style to a car crash, and I couldn't uh, agree more. There was a lot of stuff that they were trying to attempt that didn't really pan out the way that they wanted. 
But the, to me, Conan as this new Cholo gangster character paired up with Jimmy Hart seems a bit strange, especially when he's out in, on the outside yelling at the ca- camera, Arriba la raza. And Hart laughs maniacally and says the exact same thing, repeats, you know, these Mexican slang terms. It's it's a bit wonky, right? I'm not the only one that notices this. The, the whole Conan thing's really odd. As I say, they, they seem to have turned him into a stereotype, basically. Yeah, but he's still technically part of the Dungeon of Doom. When he walked out, he had the Dungeon of Doom music, so they're kind of becoming a face of WCW, but you got this guy with the uh, AAA Mexican World Heavyweight Championship. So I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it definitely doesn't hold up when you have Benoit versus Jericho next, when you have Rey Mysterio versus Super Kello in the same card. Yeah, that was... And that's going to be my feeling when we get to those matches down the road is that the one thing that made those matches early in the year so good was that they stood out. But if anything, like we, we raised the bar so high, it was almost like, okay, what else are you bringing to the table? Like, you know, in a, in a show full of shit matches, this stands out. In a show full of really good matches, like, well, it's just another match. And that's, that's kind of harsh criticism. But again, it doesn't help that, you know, one, they had Conan as this baby face that wasn't really going anywhere and they couldn't really find the right opponent for. So they turn him heel. As they say, they've kind of turned him heel in a way that's a bit kind of disappointing. Who and two Guerrero, who's really exciting, but isn't really over. His moves are over, but he's not. Put a guy in a mask. It's not that easy. And it was a match like this. Um, you know, Rory, it just... It, it, <laughs> In a weird way, as good as it was, it wasn't that memorable. No, it's, it's not something we'll, we'll be talking about uh, for, for much long afterwards. Uh, it, at times, it did feel like a, a collection of moves, a collection of magnificent moves, which had me had me applauding a lot of times, don't get me wrong. But that's probably my one criticism of, inverted commas, Lucha style, that you're going to get a bag of amazing moves, but pretty lucky if you really feel that they mean anything and I think a lot of times that was the case here but um, again those moves were superb and all credit to them for that taking nothing away from them there Brian any more? This is what Hoventude's second appearance at WCW didn't he make his debut on the Nitro previous to this? Uh, Yeah Okay so this is his second bout in and uh, I I agree, Rory. You know, I applaud a lot of the stuff he's doing, but even on this Nitro debut, there were just so many times where he attempted something and completely botches it and lands in these awkward ways. I don't know how long this guy can last with this car crash style. Not the only guy we've been discussing that about recently. You can uh, you can hear something similar about that in both uh, WWF and ECW shows this month. But but yeah, I mean, you know, it's just it. It, you know, put it this way, right? We are we are complaining about what essentially is a really good match, um, you know. And, and in another era, e.g., last year, this is Hacksaw Jim Duggan against VK Wall Street, or something like that. Um, heaven forbid. So you know, be careful what you wish for. But it does, you know, when you put, if anything, when you put on a show this good. 
it's like, okay, what are you guys offering that we're not getting later in the card? But that's only going to come with time, as we'll see. Speaking of coming with time, move on next to Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit, and that kind of theme gets continued here. So we're in horseman country. Jericho is the babyface who nobody's ever seen before, really, up against Chris Benoit, a member of the Four Horsemen. So no fucking surprise that Benoit is a big babyface in this match. They start by exchanging slaps. The crowd are all over Benoit. He levels Jericho with a big left and there's a big contingent of fans with horseman shirts opposite the hard camera. Benoit hits a big slam then locks in a horrible looking vertical Boston crab. The crowd is dead when Jericho is on offense. I've got in my notes. Jericho vaults off the second ropes to hit a drop kick sending Benoit off of the apron to the outside. He tried the same thing again with a back elbow but got it quite badly wrong and hit his shoulder on the apron. Jericho hits a nice powerbomb for a two. They stand and start exchanging slaps. Benoit gets on the apron and hits a bad suplex, a back suplex, sending Jericho to the floor. Benoit hits a lovely diving headbutt from the top, takes a bit of time making the cover, and Jericho kicks out. Jericho gets a roll-up for a two, but that just seems to piss off Benoit. Jericho almost steals it with a pin counter. He then hits a belly-to-belly with a bridge for a two. Benoit goes for a tombstone. Jericho rolls it over and hits one of his own. Jericho declines going for a pin instead hitting a moonsault from the second rope he misses but lands on his feet then leathers Benoit with a right a Frankensteiner from the top from Jericho for a two we then go on the top rope Benoit hits a back superplex and that will be enough for the three Rory uh, Chris Benoit rules all before him uh, and again well that was because of, maybe because of familiarity but uh, the cheers he got he deserved you name it Chris Benoit can do it in the ring. He's he's astounding. He's he's the most complete wrestler in uh, in North America right now. He's the absolutely the absolute best performer. Mm, debatable, but the best wrestler. If you're putting, you know, saying, come on, is he the best wrestler? The answer to that is yes. I felt a bit sorry for Chris Jericho here. One because he clearly wasn't getting the desired the desired crowd reactions because I, I don't think a lot of people there knew who he was. But B, perhaps more importantly, was that um, he was very, very white meat, happy, clappy. I'm just happy to be here. Golly, golly, go shocks, baby face. Um, that wasn't going to cut it in front of this crowd. And uh, they, they let him have it quite badly. And two, again, perhaps even more like more than Hooventood, he seemed to be suffering from uh, from nerves in the early going. Uh, he wasn't quite there when he was on offense. He really he really picked it up for the last six or seven minutes, and we got some we got some absolutely terrific stuff. Uh, I'm sure that a bit further down the line, when Jericho's got a bit more um, experience in uh, mainstream North American wrestling, and possibly there's some title on the line, or at some point, these two can really absolutely tear it up. What we got was very, very, very good, but I reckon that they could do even better in the future when uh, when everything clicks. But Benoit is just the man. Brian. Jericho seems to be an alright wrestler, but in this particular match, it seemed the whole thing was just going to be a Benoit killing. I did not expect anything else, but they actually did have uh, give Jericho a, a bit of offense in this bout, so I was actually pleasantly surprised. I, I assumed that the crowd was just there to go crazy for Benoit, but I, I think that there was a slight... Bit of applause there for Jericho here and there. He had a couple of moves from the top rope that got the crowd into it, especially that backwards elbow into Benoit's face. That just the nasty thud it made it was so sickening, and it looked 
very painful, but to Benoit's credit, he immediately got up and rolled back into the ring like it was nothing. So I, I enjoyed it. I think this was a Jericho showcase match, a show that maybe he's actually someone who can hang with the big boys, quote-unquote. And I'm actually interested to see what happens to him in the future, where this guy goes. I kind of felt a bit sorry for him. Um, you know, in the to one extent or another, I think they quite clearly laid out a match that was meant to be quite even, that was meant to kind of get over Jericho. But in Horseman Country, he didn't have a hope. Um, and once that kind of became clear, he was just playing second fiddle in, you know, what shit can Chris Benoit get in in 15 minutes that's going to pop the crowd the buzz? Uh, this is a really good match. Really, really good. Um, I think we've seen Jericho in ECW enough to know that he is very good. Um, but also, you know, we didn't see much character in ECW. Not that he was there a lot. But he's come in here and, you know, we saw that his debut match with Alex Wright, which, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want, you know, it's, what, what's the dullest babyface thing you can do? Not accept victory on debut because your opponent gets injured. That's like, you know, in a, in an era where the biggest babyface in the company of the NWO, those guys are walking around trashing up the place. A guy that's got honor isn't particularly the most babyface guy in the room. Um, but I kind of felt for him here in that, you know, Benoit was just really over. Um, and Rory, as you say, he's just fucking brilliant. Um, there's no other word to describe it. Like we've, we've been, he's been around now in this, you know, in this timeline for about two years now. Um, and I think if it, we are going to discuss later in the show about guys that WCW are going to need to move into a position that can oppose the four horsemen, uh, oppose the NWO, sorry. Roy, I can I can see Benoit being a guy that people will get behind. He's so good that he's like uh, like a modern day Arn Anderson almost. A modern day. That's why people would get uh, behind him. A, 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 a more contemporary Arn Anderson, as good as Arn Anderson still is. <laughs> nice save, nice save. Um, yeah, but my only slight, and it's only a, it's a very very slight question mark, uh, would be uh, his mic skills. But I think when, I, when he's been on the mic, I think he's been okay. He's 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 not he's not a disastrous promo by by any means any means there are people out there in higher positions than him who are far far worse than he is and he, but if you did have a if it was something you, you were going to query then at least you've got people in the horseman who can back him up on the mic for him anyway if you if you wanted to go that route but yeah just 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 seriously just whatever you do just push this guy right now push him yesterday. <laughs> Brian thoughts on uh, on Benoit's suitability up the card? I think. Once he can move away from the horseman, if that's something they would ever do, I think that definitely that'd be something that could happen. I, I, I don't know if he can stand one-on-one with guys like the NWO, but I, I don't know. He he has a lot of promise. And if you notice the pack of horsemen fans in the front row, like they were just worshipping the ground this guy walked on. So there is something there. Yeah, and you think forward to the main event, you think, Fuck, forget your story. Why don't you just put this guy in the main event? But anyway, anyway, we will see. We will next to Super Calo versus Rey Mysterio Jr. for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Calo slams Mysterio into the turnbuckle, then it's a nice running power slam. Someone near an effect affects Mike shouts, boring. Lots of flip counters. Mysterio hits the head scissors off the top. Calo hits a bounce power bomb via the top rope. Mysterio on the outside, Callow hits a high angle drop kick off the top rope. Mysterio hits his head on the concrete hard. That kind of been fun. 
Mysterio settled on the floor. Callow hits a flip dive off over the top and lands on him. Callow hits a Frankenstein off of the top but only gets a two. He locks in an arm scissors, gets then a surfboard stretch. Mysterio attempts to pull Callow over the top. Randy Allenson actually tries to pull Callow back in, which looks quite comical. Mysterio then hits a plancher on the floor. Mysterio comes off of the top, but Callow hits a drop kick. We then go into the other ring. Callow comes off of the top, uh, off the top and whips Mysterio's arms as he falls to the floor. Mysterio then hits a head scissors off the apron to the floor, then hits a flip dive to the outside. Mysterio pivots off the ropes uh, on both rings, hits a Frankensteiner and rolls it through for the win. Brian. Even though this is Super Callow's debut pay-per-view bout in WCW, we're just kind of surprised how how bad he is compared to Ray. I mean, he, he's he's okay. There's I'm not trying to talk down against him, but some of the moves he has just look a little too awkward, a little too stiff, and they even bring up the fact that he has a more of a solid lucha libre style as opposed to Rey Mysterio's lucha libre Japanese hybrid style. And Mysterio is just on another planet when it comes to Super Colo. I like his mask. I like his look. But I don't know. It just seems like a uh, a waste of an opportunity, especially when you got a lot of other better cruiserweights in WCW right now. Roy. Yeah, it's um, it's absolute testament to Ray here that uh, Super Colo, who I'd, who I'd heard of him before, even before I started watching this pay-per-view, to be honest with you. Had he been mentioned on TV before? I'm not sure. I think um, he wrestled on TV. If it, was, if it wasn't before, it was right after. Um, right, okay. But yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't been around long. Let's say that. Okay. Um, I think it's testament to Ray, especially Ray obviously wearing a mask, that um, he was able to get me fairly... He was able to get me fairly invested in Super Calo by his, uh, his excellent selling, which is say wearing a mask is no mean feat. Because Calo, he dominated pretty much the entire first two-thirds of the match. And his offense was fine, but it was um, somewhat unspectacular. And again, I agree. He looked he looked a little, let's say, casual with some of his maneuvers as well. But uh, it was fine. But uh, it was probably a bit too long for what he was capable of doing. When Ray got back onto offense, I mean, no need I say more. I mean, the man is it's phenomenal. It, it, the, the things the things he can do the way he can do them, and the way he makes them mean something, to go back to a point I made earlier. I mean, this guy could be an absolute superstar if they play him right. Uh, I think he's great. I'm glad he won. And that finish, double springboard into a Rana. God, hats off. Fantastic. Uh, Rory, coming back to a theme we mentioned a couple of matches ago, if two guys have a great wrestling match, but it doesn't matter... Um, the audience don't know who they are. Is it really a great match? Again, you're in, in a way you're kind. Of, yeah, that's kind of sort of the point I was making with uh, with Benoit Jericho, really, because uh, the work uh, for the most part was absolute A grade stuff. But they but were into just, one of those guys. That's true. That's true. But um, the match wasn't really. With, to take the credit, just brief, just for a second, that was still just a match on a event. It didn't really count for anything. At least this one had a title on the line. But um, uh, I do get your point. I think especially uh, in North America where work rate isn't necessarily uh, the be-all and end-all for um, many of your casual viewers, uh, then you've got to have that something extra to make it a bona fide five-star match. Unless, 
unless the work you put in is 20 minutes of absolute technical perfection and very few people people are capable of that so you've got to give uh, or at least be capable of giving a little bit more I, I agree with the tenor of your point there yeah Brian, is this kind of come back to what we've said before? You've now got two hours of live television. Let's flesh out these characters. Because right now, for once, and it's not something people say all that often, it feels like the work rate is about there. They just need to get some characters behind so people can get invested in these guys before they're out there. I, I completely agree. And to praise Super Kahlo, he had Ray on the outside and did a... Was it the, I think it's like a over the top rope senton splash to Ray on the outside and the crowd did not react whatsoever. There wasn't a, a even a slight applause for it. It just was dead. And it, it was actually kind of sad because that was a pretty spectacular move. Like I, he nailed it perfectly, but no one cared. And I think that's a bad place to be on a pay per view. And it's also the thing that, you know, the, the the slight concern is that the reaction to these guys in, a, in an environment like this will be, no one cared, we'd better do more. It's like, no, that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. The answer to people not caring is we need to get some people invest in these guys before the bell rings because then it will matter more. And I think the other thing as well is that the, all right, we say, what does it matter? There was a title on the line, I should reiterate. But the title doesn't really matter at the moment. It kind of helps that they've kind of sent Regal away to defend the TV title. He's not really been around. Um, and that Flair, I think, is still the United States heavyweight champion, even though he's not really doing anything with it. Kind of helps that. But yeah, they just, you know, that they, they need more time. They're doing bits and I suspect on Saturday night they're doing a bit more, but it's like Nitro's your main show. Would it kill you? You know, we, we talk about them building up guys. They gave bloody Glacier about two minutes later in the month just to tell people about where he was from and, and where all the style came together. And guess what? When Glacier's entrance started, people fucking reacted. Like, it's not like this needs to be a sustained six-month build. Just give us a bit to cling on to, and they might react a bit more. Again... On another show, we'd have been going, God, thank God for a great match. But on this show, with everything else, it was like, eh, you know, good action. But, we, you know, we've seen good action throughout the show. That would have been my main criticism. Still a very good match. On another show, this would have really, really stood out. As it was, it was good. But that's the overriding concern. Mysterio's been around a few months now. Give us something on that character. Anyway, we move on to uh, four guys that we know quite a bit about. It's the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags versus Harlem Heat, Booker T and Steve Ray with Cal Robert Parker and Sherry for the WCW World Tag Team titles. Steve Ray starts out with Sags in the corner. Sags is a big clothesline for a two. Sags gets antsy with Sherry and Parker, which whips up the crowd. Nobs hits a back elbow. Nobs just unloads on Booker T. I don't know about before, but I can finally tell Booker and Stevie apart as Stevie is significantly thicker. Sag hits a neck breaker. We go for a pit stop, but Sherry climbs on the apron and the distraction seems to stop it. Booker T hits a big scissors kick onto Nobs, then gets a standing exchange. Booker levels Nobs, then goes after Sags. The action breaks down. Sags goes after Sherry and stumbles through the middle ropes, chasing after her. Booker goes for a jumping sidekick, but Nobbs ducks and Booker goes sprawling to the floor. Nobbs finally gets his hands on Sherry and the crowd pop for that. Nobbs hits Booker with a pile drive for a two. Sags goes to the top. Parker knocks him off balance. Sags goes after Parker, but Ray runs him over. 
Booker hits a scissor kick on Sags, which falls into the outside. Ray holds up Sags so Sherry can take some shots. Sags rallies with a double face plan. He looks at the hot tag and is finally able to get it. Nobbs runs wild for a bit, but all four and all four men are in the ring. Nobbs sets on the top. Parker goes on the apron. Sags blocks Parker, but Sherry gets in the ring and levels Nobbs with a cane. Booker, dazed, pins Nobbs, and that's enough to retain. Rory. Goes back to what you just said, Bob. Um, this match, on its own two feet, was probably just about serviceable, marginally above TV quality. The crowd elevated this level upon level. They were so into the Nasty Boys. Um, beats me, but hey, Nasty Boys are babyface, I suppose, and they were getting a huge, huge uh, section of cheers throughout the entire match. And that helped keep me invested in something which I otherwise eh, might not have been my uh, number one pick of interest for this particular card. And uh, I think that probably maybe even enhanced the work in the in the ring uh, a little bit as well. Um, both teams are probably up their roles about another 10%, which is excellent. Uh, and it was good. Um, probably, again, the maximum amount of time you'd want to see these two guys go at it for. Um, it was fleshed out a bit by the shenanigans with the, with the Colonel, who I'm still a complete mark for, by the way, and Sherry. Um, they, they, they did their bit and uh, they carried out the, what they needed to do well as well. Uh, the ending was a bit, I've seen this a thousand times before, but I suppose you're going to get that with this particular, um, uh, this particular troop. So yeah, decent to good action, but it shows the importance of a crowd who actually care about the people involved. Yeah, we did the whole thing about four or five months ago with the, you know, let's look at the the run of WCW tag team title matches we covered on this show and how many of them ended in screwy finishes. This is, this is just another one of those. Um, <laughs> Brian? I've always liked the Nasties. I know what to expect when it comes to them. They're just uh, garbage wrestlers when the tag team division. But I've always liked... Just their look, their their vibe. I've just been a fan of them. I don't even know why. In this particular match, nothing that really stood out to me. Just a typical nasties type of match. Crowd's going crazy. That did elevate it a bit. But just to have it to the point where their victory gets taken away from them by a cane shot, yeah, it's just the usual standard. I'm actually surprised that Parker and Sherry are still with Harlem Heat. I'm surprised that this unity is still hanging on, still going strong at this point. Yeah, I think the car home, we just overlooked the fact that Parker and Sherry probably shouldn't be together anymore, and there's isn't really a reason why the Heat need either of them, um, in a storyline sense, because Sherry massively helped this match. I mean, they, the crowd were largely all over it anyway, but Sherry kept it going, built the Heat, able to get some sympathy onto Sags. It all came together, and it helped that all four guys are just really good. You know, and, and not that you know, Nobs and Sags aren't going to win any awards for being great workers, but they're good brawlers. Uh, and we talk about, you know, Mysterio and Super Callow not being over and Jericho not being over. If you were to come to a WCW product fresh, or you didn't know any of the guys, any of them at all, I think if there's one act on this show that you would get more quickly than any of the others, it's like it's the Nasty Boys. They're big, brash, you know, they're, they're, they're barroom brawlers. That's obvious, right? And they wrestle like that too. They wrestle like people that fight rather than wrestle. 
So that helps when it comes to the nasty boys being characters that people can get. One, that they've been around for ages and we kind of know who they are and we've seen it all before. But two, they're very obvious acts and they're quite likeable, even though it now looks like they've turned them heel. And the Harlem Heat are just really athletic. They're really impressive too. And if you're cold to those guys, you might not be angry at them, but you are angry at the two guys on the outside that are helping them win. Um, you know, Rory, I, th- I think I think we kind of mentioned that there might be some questions behind Parker and Sherry, but Car- Parker and Sherry are still really helping this act. Definitely. Um, they, uh, as, as I say, in this particular match, uh, I think they needed to be there just to uh, give us and take us up to the 13, 14 minute mark that, uh, that uh, they're actually earmarked for it. I think it might have got a bit more of a struggle to watch without them. They're just they're just gold. Uh, this uh, this angle has been going on a year now. I think it was at the last fall brawl. This we first started getting these two together, was it? Um, possibly even before that. Um, that's the first one oh, I can remember. I seem to recall. Bash at the Beach last summer, I seem to recall both of these teams being involved with Regal and Eaton. Does that sound right? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think it was a. Uh, I think it four brawl. It, it may predated. It may be predated that as well. But that that's I, I recall that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But if if you've got something going, it's going good. Then you know, don't stop it. You know, these two are are, are fantastic in their role. Sherry is a is a heat magnet. And the colonel, as the southern gentleman, without the gentleman bit, he's he's just fantastic. I say, uh, I think he's I think he's brilliant at playing that role. Um, I, I would I wouldn't even think about breaking uh, breaking these, even though from a storyline perspective, do the Heat really need them? Uh, maybe not, but it works for me. Keep it going; they're great. Yeah, um, I really like this. Uh, I like all uh, both teams. As we say, I, I think Parker and Sherry is a bit disjointed. Um, and there may become a time where they want to turn the heat face. I can see that in the future. If we're going to talk about the nasty boys turning heel, we'll talk about the Steiners potentially turning heel and the fact that there's going to be quite a new tag team on the scene very, very soon, e.g. next month, the outsiders. They might want some baby faces to go up against them. I can see the heat being near the top of that list in that they're so impressive athletically that I think they'll get over. And so I think there's a, a necessity as to why they need these heel acts with them at the moment, and that's to keep them heels. Um, but they're both really impressive, and I'm a big fan of the Nasty Boys. As I say, it's quite a simple act. Two fat guys who fight. <laughs> it's 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 not much more complex than that. Like, it's, in, you know, it's, in their, it's in their name. They're two Nasty Boys. That's it. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Yeah, even more simple than how they look, what they're called. Like, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a complicated act, but that's not a criticism, that's a positive. And that they're very easy to get behind, both either as a baby face or if you want to turn the heels, it looks like they've done. Either on that side as well. It just works. Um, and you know, and we talk about this card. Brian, is it fair to say this match probably stands alongside the previous five we've seen? Five or six? Only due to the crowd just getting into it completely. I, to be quite honest, when I saw this coming up, I actually considered uh, maybe I'll get up and go do some laundry and maybe come back and check in on it. But as soon as I saw things kind of starting to heat up pretty quickly, I stuck around and watched the entirety of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Rory, fair to say, one of the more memorable matches on the card on, on a on a match of on a card of very good matches. Definitely. Um, in the end, props to everybody involved. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Shay about the shitty finish, but you know, it's WCW Tag Team Division. I think we've got to live with that now. <laughs> um, 
anyway, yeah, the, I'll mention it now because it, it will get kind of buzzed over in our TV reports. But the Public Enemy do win the tag titles a couple of weeks later on Nitro. Um, I don't think they're going to do Public Enemy and uh, the Outsiders at the next show, in part because I think Johnny Grunge is going to have to have surgery on his knee. Um, but yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but that's there. We'll mention that in the TVs. Um, Rick Flair is flogging four brawl t-shirts. He's a baby face now. I've got in my notes. I think he just is. We get a prayer from Savage. Noteworthy that Mike Tenay is doing the interview and not me and Gene Oakland. Next up, it's Randy Savage versus the Giant. Giant charges into the ring. Savage knocks him off the apron. So Giant pulls him out and they brawl on the aisle way. Savage goes for a body slam and Giant's weight just flattens him. Savage comes out of the corner and Giant sends him to the mat. Giant is a backbreaker, then locks in a back submission. Everyone in the crowd is looking camera left. Not clear at what they're looking at. I don't think that led to anything. I think it's just something in the crowd. Uh, he then locks in a Boston Crab. Giant catches Savage off the top rope and slams him down. Savage hits a bulldog from the top. Giant kicks out so hard, Savage gets a mare, which pops the crowd. Savage hits a one-two kick onto a kneeling Giant, then hits a body slam, and the place explodes. Here comes Hulk Hogan. Sarah hits an elbow from the top. Hogan pulls Giant half out of the ring. Sarah chases Hogan up the way, but it's a trap. Sarah ducks a Scott Hall shot, but Nash leathers Sarah with a chair. You think that'd be a DQ, but it turns out Nick Patrick is distracted by Giant in the ring. The Outsiders and Hogan roll Sarah back into the ring, and Giant pins him for the win. Brian. I'm actually curious to see where this whole angle is going to play out at with Nick Patrick. The previous Nitros, you had him actually cut a promo against people who were tearing down, and all the haters out there tearing down his his calls and have a disagreement with how he does things in the ring. It's, it's interesting to think that the NWO have a ref in their back pocket for times like this, even though it's, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a little cheesy, but I guess it's a necessary thing. Uh, Jai versus Macho Man. Macho is a pretty much a rabid dog throughout the entire thing who will not quit. The Giant just kind of picks him off and throws him around the ring for a good five minutes. It, it wasn't a, a great match by any stretch of the imagination, but the crowd were super hot into this thing. And whenever Savage picked up the Giant for the body slam, it was like Hogan Andre at WrestleMania 3, brother. Rory. Very briefly, I thought Savage's promo beforehand was excellent. When he called himself the evil necessity, I thought that was a great line. Um, I wanted to get something good out of the way nice and early. In fact, this, that, that said, this match was, it served its purpose. It was to try to build uh, some sympathy for Savage. It was more angle advancement than a match, if I'm being honest. What we got in the seven minutes was, was okay. Um... I think we've actually seen better performances in the ring from the Giant than this, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, up until about the five-minute mark, it was a Randy Savage match, actually get beaten down. But this time, we didn't just get up and hit the elbow and, and, uh, and get the win. Not that I was expecting him to get a clean win here, by, by any means. And that body slam, and you're right, I mean, the crowd went nuts for it. And I watched it, I was like, wow, that's impressive. Looking back now, though, I wonder if maybe they should have saved that for somewhere down the line when it meant just a tiny bit more. I don't know. Um, and as soon as uh, Hogan came uh, down the aisle, you, you just knew where this one was going. I thought Savage looked, uh, looked a little bit stupid, actually, because um, he, 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 Hogan uh, leads, him down, uh, leads him down to the curtain, and Savage knows that uh, 
one of Hall or Nash is going to be there, and he ducks Hall's punch before he even throws it. Okay, that's fine. But then he's completely prone for Nash to hit him with a chair. <laughs> you can't win them all, I guess. And from there, it was just completely academic. And um, Savage was prone in the ring, which we all knew really from as soon as Hogan came out, this was going to end anyway. So as a match, not really much going on, but as angle advancement to try to give us a bit more going in towards Savage Hogan at Halloween Havoc, I can cope with it. Yeah, a, a lot of my comments about this are going to tie into what we discussed following the main event, so I'll keep this fairly short. Um, yeah, not the greatest giant outing we've seen, but, you know, to an extent, it's the giant. I don't think he's much better than this. Um, and Savage himself isn't in particularly in a position anymore where I think he can carry this kind of match either. Um, that being said, star power helped. It wasn't long enough where it got boring. Um, and the crowd, and they, they pop for that body slam. As for the finish, ugh, you know, we're, we're treading very, very close to dumb babyface territory here. Very, very close. Um, you know, I, I could say more, but it, it will all wrap into what I'm going to say after the main event, so I'll leave it there. Now. We are now just minutes away from the War Games, and decision time is here. Ric Flair, which member of the Four Horsemen has been chosen to replace the departed Sting in the War Games matchup against the New World Order? Tonight, we are in the house, the Horsemen built. Sting or no Sting, it's Luger. It's double A, and it's an HMR. The horsemen have stepped aside. You hear that, Gene? You hear it? That's the ambulance coming down the highway to get the outsiders. You hear it? That's the medics wheeling in the carts. Very shortly, very shortly, the horsemen kick ass. Woo! The fact Woo! is, Luger, you lost a friend. We lost a partner. WCW lost an icon. But the fact of the matter is, if you want something done right in this life, you were a horseman once. We're just going to do it by ourselves. Sting or no sting? Oh, yeah. Wait one second. Start it again, brother. I've been waiting six days for this. i got to hear this, but you better make it short and sweet. All I got is I'll make it real short. All I got to say is it was not me on Monday night. It wasn't me, Lex. Well, I'll tell you what. We got a war games right now. I saw you. I looked you right in the face before you cheap shot at me. And Stinger, I know it was you. I can't believe you. And I don't believe you. If you can't believe me, then so be it. I'll see you in a while. I hope we do. Luger! You're a lean, mean wrestling machine. Tonight, we walk the aisle. Mike Tenay is backstage with Flair, Luger, Arn, Woman and Elizabeth. He asks which member of the horseman will be replacing Sting. Flair calls him Gene, which is as good a sign as any that Flair's phoning in these days. Arn says Luger was a horseman, so they're good. They can go with three. Here comes Sting. He says Monday night wasn't him. Luger says he doesn't believe him. And he says he saw on Monday that it was him. Uh, Brian, we're going to have a much bigger discussion about Sting later in the show. But what did you think about this chapter? <laughs> it, it was kind of just laughable. It's Lex Luger talking to his best friend. He, he If anyone would know if an imposter would wear the Sting makeup, it would be the Lex Luger. But... I, I don't know. It was it's confusing, and to go back to that previous Nitro, 
where you had this, I don't know, it's just laughable at this point. Rory. Um, that, that line, I, I looked in your eyes. Well, 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 come on, Alex. You've only known this guy for about a decade. Come on now. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you did, at the time, I thought this was just very stupid and borderline intelligence insulting. It did at least play into what we got uh, on our screens about 20 minutes later. So uh, I'll, I'll let it slide to a degree. But I will say that um, I agree with the review that's made it into the torch about this. That did seem somewhat under-rehearsed. And I thought Sting's, you know, Sting's party line of I'll see you in a while. You know, like he was just nipping down to the shops to buy a paper or something. You know, <laughs> that, 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 that could have had a bit more portent to it. But um, it, it was... It had its issues, but uh, it was okay setting up what we got later on, I suppose. Yeah, uh, I'm doing this a lot tonight, but I feel like you know, <laughs> I can, uh, better discuss it when we've got the context of what's to follow. <laughs> As it was, I mean, you know, let, let's look at this in the way that it, you know, in, in the context of what had been presented, and without being able to look forward as to what follows. Um, you know, on Monday night we saw. You know, we'll discuss that in a bit, so I'll save that a bit. But on Monday night, people saw what they believed to be Sting or what was presented to them as being Sting. Or what actually happened was a lot of people just turned off, as happened. They got to Sunday, and I kind of thought, okay, you know, if if they're going to present it as Sting being having turned, surely in a match of this magnitude, in a match where the NW, sorry, in a match where the Horsemen agreed that four horsemen on their own probably wouldn't be enough to defeat the NWO. And that they said, yeah, we're going to need Sting and Luger because we need guys that have been there before and that can do it. If the match was that important, why didn't the horsemen have anyone else? And forget that, why not just use Benoit? Forget all the rest of it. So there was that. That was a bit weird. And I'm saying we can go with three. Well, I mean, I know they hadn't established who the NWO's fourth guy was, but you can sure as shit bet they're going to have one. Um, and then, yeah, Sting comes out and for what could be a very, very kind of defining moment in Sting's character in the next six months, say, it was all a bit wooden. Under-rehearsed, yeah, I, I, I'd give you that. I think there's more underprepared, as in, you know, one thing we're going to discuss when we get to the promo that Sting cuts the following night is that they needed a much, much more watertight story here. And Sting just coming back and saying, yeah, it wasn't me. And Luger saying, I saw you. I knew it was you. Like, that's a bit weak. I mean, you know, it less about seeing him and knowing it was you. What was the motivation behind believing it? Like, you know, we've got... It feels like they're both dumb baby faces. That's even worse. Anyway, we'll discuss this thing more a bit once we've uh, once we've got a bit more context. Anyway, here's Michael Buffer. He's literally got an A4 sheet of notes to explain the rules. And if it's clear, if you've not heard me review a full brawl match, uh, war games match before, I'm not entirely sold on the concept. Anyway, we've on to the main event. It's Hollywood Hogan, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall as Team WO with an unknown fourth member versus Team WCW, Ric Flair, Ironson and Lex Luger. 
We're in Horseman Country, so Flair's name gets a big reaction. DBRC comes out with Scott Hall, and he's also carrying a spray paint. Arn carries that. Arn comes out for WCW. The other four, well, five or six, are actually backstage, which unlike previous war games, where they hang around on the outside. And I actually quite like that change. I think it's it, it, it's an improvement visually on the guys just hanging around doing fuck all. It's better that they're backstage. It sounds a bit more drama. Anyway. Here we go. Hall starts out with some big rights. Arn gets him in the corner and unloads. This is largely uncoordinated back and forth so far. A scrap, you might call it. I quite like that. Nick Patrick says to Arn Anderson, I can ring the bell. I can stop it right now. No, you can't. We just had a page of notes explaining why you can't do that. Anyway. Tony breaks the news, shock horror that the NWO won the coin toss. Why am I not surprised? We go to the third person with Arn having Hall in a single leg crab. Here comes Kevin Nash. Arn fights but he can't hold them off it's two versus one with not ha- Hall and Nash Luger either misses his cue or jumps the gun but he's out about 20 seconds too soon anyway the numbers are level he takes down Nash and Hall with running right hands Luger darts Hall's head off the cage Arn comes to and starts unloading on Hall out for the NWO third, NWO third it's Hogan with Nash and Hall down, Luger and Arn get some offense in, but the numbers game quickly catches up with them. A large We Want Flair chant breaks out. Rushes out to make it three on three, he stands in the first ring and goads the NWO to come over to his side. Hogan jumps the gap, so Flair gyrates. I mean, well, what else would you do? Flair unloads some strikes, and the fans are all over this. Nash and Hall come over, so Flair low blows them both. Out comes Sting. Clearly not the real Sting. The fake Sting starts attacking. The fans chant a We Want Sting chant, although the commentators think it's the actual Sting. We get all seven men in the one ring. Hogan is out of flair by the cage. Fake Sting does Sting splash in every corner. It's four on four and out comes the real Sting. Sting, real Sting, unloads on everyone and does splashes in the corners. Sting does his job, mouth off at Luger and then just leaves. It's back to three on four. Hogan hits a big boot and a leg drop on Luger. Fake Sting puts in a scorpion deathlock on Luger. Hogan puts in a chin lock and that's the end of that. The action does continue. We'll come back to that in a bit. Rory. First things first, and this is my first opportunity to say this, I don't like war games matches either. Because A, as you alluded to in your write-up, Bob, uh, the heels always win the coin toss. They always have, they always will. And B, uh, the rules that the match can't actually end until everybody's in the ring means that there's, there's no real drama that you can really build up for the first uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, watching people punch each other and throw each other into the cage gets a bit wearing after a while. Um, on the Great American Bash tours about 10 years ago, when you get to see all the big stars in one big bloody battle coming to your town, then I can see what would have made a bit more sense. But now I'm not a fan, but it looks like it's here to stay. So we, we have to deal with it. And as... Before we get to the storyline, as war games matches go, it was it was okay. It was lots of people punching each other and throwing each other into a cage. Flair tried to make a bit more of it because he's Ric Flair, but, um, but that was pretty much it until we got the the whole Sting story that I thought was actually really well told. N- nobody believed, okay, nobody believed that uh, Cobra was the real Sting. I, uh, the fact that a We Want Sting chant went up almost as soon as he'd actually got in the ring proved that. He got the. He was about. I give him about a seven out of ten for the stinger splash, and about a three out of ten for the for the shriek thing. Um, and when the the real sting came down, I love the fact that 
he did uh, beat up uh, beat up the NWO. Even more than that, I love the fact that the rest of his team weren't helping him at that point. I thought that was a fantastic touch. The doubts were still there even then. Coupled with that was the fact that he didn't hang around. You know, it was almost as if he didn't really care about the result of this match, leaving us the seed of doubt in our minds that hey, maybe he'd quite like to see the NWO win this match after all. So I thought that was uh, that was brilliant. After that, I think we all knew what was going to happen, that the NWO were going to win somehow. Uh, fake sting causing Luger to submit to a, a 5 out of 10 Scorpion Deathlock, with Hogan getting involved as well, because Hogan. Uh, I suppose we had to get there to try and make the fake sting seem worthwhile going forward, because I think we'll be seeing him for a little while longer. But, uh, it was a bit deflating, but at least it was, at least, as odd as it seems to say, at least it was predictable. So I kind of steal myself for it. But yeah, as War Games matches go, this one had some really well-told story behind it. And uh, that brings it up uh, a couple of notches. But I'd be happy never seeing another War Games match again. <laughs> Brian. So did Lex Luger actually tap out the end? Because it seemed like the ref just called for the end of the bout. I, no, I couldn't tell. I think this, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but they might be trying to tell a story here, trying to keep the Nick Patrick thing going, that um, he called for the bell before Luger had a chance to submit. Maybe. I don't think they quite got that across, but that could be where they were going. I, yeah, I, read, I read that that happened on Nitro, but uh, if it did, I missed it. Um, you know... Dell actually wrote the TV reviews, so don't, so I may have read that out. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't very explicit and it wasn't particularly well followed upon. Let's say that. Yeah, so they kick Luger out of the ring and he's crawling up to the ramp, crying to Stinger to come back and save them all. But, you know, Sting's long gone at that point. Uh, the match itself, it built up the story nicely. And as soon as fake Sting shows up, the crowd doesn't buy it, and it just destroyed the ending. Because if the crowd doesn't buy it, they completely lost interest in everything that would happen at that point. So, um, it was a okay. War Games is not one of my favorite War Games matches I've seen at this point, but it was all right for what it was, and it's obviously leading to something bigger, hopefully. Brian, is the War Games format something that just works when you've got a, a ticking four horsemen? Because I've seen four during this show now. I don't think any of them have been any good. What was the previous one that we had done together? Uh, that would have been the one last year. That would have been Hogan, Luger, Sting and Savage against... Oh, the Dungeon of Doom? <laughs> yeah, who would that have been? What, Taskmaster... Uh, let me look it up. You carry on talking, Brian. I'll, I'll find out that card. Yeah, I, I, I do enjoy these matches. I like the fact that it's the biggest stars in the company together in a double-sided steel ring with two, or steel cage with two rings. I like the visual aspect of it. But at this point, it was obvious that what they were leading to would be that NWO victory with some kind of shenanigans at the end. The fact that Sting walked out is probably the most interesting thing about the entire thing. I didn't expect that. I just kind of thought he'd show up, save the day, and everyone goes home happy with the Stinger as on top. But it's interesting to see what they're doing at this point. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger, and Sting defeated Kamala the Zodiac, the Shark, and Meng. 
Oof. Jesus. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for that. that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. God, that feels like longer than a year ago. Um, yeah, I mean, where to start with this? I mean, you know, I, I, I've done my, my thing about war games before. You know, I, I think the format needs a lot of work. I think it leads to a, a long period of the match where nothing happens because nothing can happen. It's incredibly formulaic, but I oh, know I'm doing it now. It's incredibly formulaic because you end up with the whole even and then the heels out of balance, even then the heels out of balance, etc, etc. That being said, one, there was a lot more drama involved. Two, I really like the fact that they took all the guys away from ringside and had them come out. I thought it was a big advantage, actually. One, that it, it built some mystery over who was going to be number four on each side but it also stopped the guys hanging around it allowed them to focus a little bit more about what happened in the ring the story was fine it was maybe okay you know in terms of it was a a fairly paint by numbers war games match um you know i think in other in another world, you probably would have had hogan and flair being number four on each side but obviously they had their reasons for doing that and then, and then the stings arrive. Um, and I, let's have a look at this. I mean, you know, they, they have the third, st- you know, you look at the angle on TV and, and we'll discuss it in a bit about, you know, once the rating came in, should they have just got, had, had second thoughts and maybe they should have done, but they had this angle in mind and they thought we're going to do it. So fake stings comes out, and that's fair enough. Team NWO or Team NWO, that was their number four guy. One, I don't think it looks good on anyone, let alone Sting, that Jeff Farmer, a.k.a. Cobra, can do a very, very convincing Sting impression in that the idea about Sting is that he's really, really good, and Jeff Farmer can do the splashes probably just as well as he can. And he can do the Scorpion Deathlock probably just as well as he can. He's not the fake Sting. He's just another version of That happens. But my kind of overriding thought was, well, who was meant to be number four for WCW? And I know they said they were going to go in with three guys. Maybe. Maybe. Um, But... That kind of felt a bit weak to me. That r- r- rationale felt a bit weak to me. So the real thing comes out. And he starts cleaning house. And, I, you know, I, I guess you can say once you commit to going down the path they went down, this was really good. Because it was. It was quite a clever way of having Sting come out, do his stuff and then leave. Fair enough. But I, I guess in, in that, once we're at that point, fair enough. But Rory, the, the finish I found incredibly strange. Because one, as I say, in theory, the Scorpion Deathlock is a move that only Sting can use. Well, unless he's Bret Hart. Only Sting in WCW can use because it's only a move that he's good enough to pull off. So why was fake Sting able to do it? And if Luger didn't tap out, then what happened? Because the match just ended, and then you know, and we'll come to the post-match in a minute, but Rory, the, uh, I, I guess I can accept what happened up until 4 and 4, and I can even accept what happened when Sting left, but after that it fell a bit flat, and it was all a bit abrupt. Yeah, the finish was weird, wasn't it? As I, as I said when I was running through, as soon as Sting left, I think we all knew that one way or the other the match was actually going to finish pretty soon after that, because there's nowhere else you could really go from there without uh, ringing the bell and just bringing things to a halt. And, yeah, I suppose they kind of-ish gave themselves 
uh, outcome explanation by having Hogan locking Luger in whatever chin, chin lock come made up hold he had him in to try and say that he was, um, uh, he helped make him pass out. But I don't know. I'm, I'm probably clutching at straws a bit there. But yes, you're right. Um, in WCW world, uh, the Scorpion Deathlock is, is Sting's move. Was it painful enough to make Luger even want to, even if you, even if you take out the possible Nick Patrick uh, side we talked about a few minutes ago? Yeah, that one's raised a lot of questions with few answers and not in a good way. Brian, input on any of that? I do believe Shivani did throw out a passing. I, I believe Luger passed out from the pain. That's the only obvious explanation. So, I mean, there was that, but it, it just, it whole thing seemed like it was bungled at the end. But I guess it didn't matter because we still had much more to go. Yeah, that we did. Okay. The brawl goes on up the aisleway once the cage is lifted. Savage comes out and goes after Hogan. They get in the second ring, but Savage is on his own. In my notes, I simply got, where did the horseman go and where is the rest of the WCW roster? It's a four-on-one beatdown, and here comes Liz, because Liz hung around, even though nobody else has. Seems like she wants them to stop. She places herself on top of Savage. Hogan takes the spray paint and sprays NWOHH onto the back of Liz's dress. Hogan grabs the mic, says they said they would be together until death do us part, and we're going to make that happen. Does nobody like Randy Savage? Question mark. Giant says he thinks he's Michelangelo. Hogan and Giant still haven't worked out the whether you like it or whether you don't line as they keep talking over each other. Where did the rest of Team WCW go? Sorry, I just got like a stream of contras in these notes. Where did WCW go anyway? The NWO eventually make their way to the commentary desk. Hogan says this is NWO commentary. DBRC then started saying, now that we've proven we're the best there is, which if that was meant to be a really, really subtle tease about Bret Hart, fair fuck, because it was really subtle to the point where I think a lot of people missed it. Um, but I quite like that anyway. Um, Brian, I think it's pretty obvious what I thought based on the disdain in my notes, but talk me through this. I think it was funny that Hogan T's actually murdering Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth in the middle of the ring. And, you know, he didn't make good on it. So, you know, that's kind of, I wouldn't say disappointing, but I guess it's just, <laughs> Okay, is this where we're going now with the NWO? Uh, Shivani said this is the lowest point in WCW history, which maybe, uh, maybe he's right on that front. Well, if you want to go back 12 months, we referenced the War Games match from last year. If you remember the conclusion at the end of that match was Giant coming out and snapping Hulk Hogan's neck. Now they're best friends now, which makes fuck all sense. Um, but yeah, like we talk about murder, maybe it's just something about, maybe it's war guys, maybe people are thinking about death, I don't know. Um, Rory. <laughs> oh, that's a jolly thought. Um, yes, uh, I've just got one question here, Bob, uh, where were WCW? <laughs> I mean, just, what happened there? I mean, savages... Well, where, did, where did the horsemen go? Forget about everyone else. The horsemen, like, there, is a, there is at least a theory. The horsemen in at least the, the horsemen theory. The horsemen the the whole the, the everyone else has gone home. There's at least that theory, right? But okay. the, the 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 brawl starts happening. Now, okay, I can buy the NWO winning the brawl, but 
unless they like escorted them backstage, shunted them in the room and locked the door within a space of about 30 seconds, did they just get up and walk off? Because that's <laughs> kind of what it looked like. Now, okay, okay, okay. There, there is, there is one thing here, which is if there's one thing we, we, we believe the horseman not to like, it is Randy Savage. So I can kind of excuse the horseman going away because Flair and Savage are at loggerheads. Where the fuck was everyone else? Whatsoever, none at all. Um, just just leaving Savage out there as um, uh, uh, land for the slaughter to be saved by uh, Elizabeth of all people. Um, Elizabeth and Savage are they actually together in storyline at the moment? I don't think they are, are they? Has nope. that been played up at all? Nope. What what I a, what a hell of weird time to have some you know your feelings rush back. Yes, exactly. Um, when he's been been beaten up by five people. Um, Yes, and that was uh, uncomfortable viewing, but not in the way I, I think it was intended. It was uncomfortable viewing because it was just a bit of a mess, really. And I think they're out and out just stalling for time. Uh, I think when Giovanni said this is the worst thing we've ever seen in the history of WCW, I do wonder if there were, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I do wonder if there were some other plans, original plans for something else uh, to actually happen there. And they got nixed, I don't know, because it wasn't, that bad, really. It was a bad watch, but it wasn't that that heinous compared to even anything that the NWO have done before. So I do wonder if that was the case. Uh, and it did go on too long, and they ended up just sauntering around just to fill PPV time. But so one thing I will say, and I did like, I definitely, definitely read uh, that DBRC line as a little jab at Bret Hart. Yeah, or a hint. Who knows? Yeah, hint, Who jab, knows? whatever. Uh, uh, maybe just hey. You know, if, if, if you're watching some, but yes, I, 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 I absolutely read it as a, a Bret Hart reference, 100%. Bret Hart is, I believe, out of contract at the moment. Um, you know, I, I suspect he's going to stay, given that they basically just set up a program with Steve Austin. But you know, maybe they're talking. Maybe there was a line. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't overt enough. If he'd have, if he'd have, uh, you know, if there'd have been, well, we proved the best there is, and we know we're the best there was, and then left oh, yeah, it at yeah. that. Maybe if he'd have done that, but you know, there wasn't <laughs> quite enough where I think we can read ton into it, but it was a nice little nugget anyway. That I mean, was Brian... excellent execution with the spray paint there, Hogan. Just... <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, Brian, <laughs> there, next month, it's Randy Savage versus Hollywood Hogan for the NWO slash WCW World Heavyweight title at Halloween Havoc. Did anyone that watched this show think, oh, that's going to be a fun match? Because having seen Randy Savage get the piss beaten out of him twice, and, and this never helps, finding out that Randy Savage has got no friends, which is never the way to market what is essentially now your number one babyface, um, that match doesn't seem remotely as appealing as it did a couple of months ago. Uh, I completely agree. And it, it is a little strange, especially when, when you consider that you had at least Benoit and Mongo who are members of the Horsemen who could have potentially have also shown up at the end to fight. You know, at least those two could have showed up. But uh, this Miss Elizabeth thing is very strange since I want to say that two weeks ago that she had shown up with Ric Flair with a woman, Elizabeth, and then the uh, queen of WCW. Her name is escaping me at this point. Uh, Miss McMichael, whatever her name is. Definitely. So, Definitely. yeah, there you go. So, the fact that 
Elizabeth is now back with Savage. <laughs> I don't know how good that's going to help his fight against the NWO, but it, it is interesting. I, I will agree that it doesn't seem like Savage has a real leg to stand on coming in at the next pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, it's all just very, very strange. I mean, you know, I, I feel like, the, you know, we're going to discuss more about the NWO later in the show. I feel like there were so many things you could have done here. We'll talk about the Sting thing in a bit. But we talk about trying to make a guy. Why not just have Benoit run out and just go on a tear? Like, you know, even if he got beaten the fuck up, right? Even if, like, why not have Benoit run out and try and take on six guys and get through four of them and then get cut off by the giant? How could, like, you know, I'm not saying the NWO were necessarily wrong to, like, win win the segment or you know given the fact they've won the match and they've dominated everything else recently I think there's a case and there's a question in a second about whether who should have won this match but you know even if you didn't send out the entire roster and there was a reluctance to do that because you know they to an extent they don't want the NWO running off and I think to an extent they just don't want the NWO to look bad but why not send out a couple of guys that just, you know, sacrifice themselves? Send out Benoit. Hell, you want to get Jericho over? Send him out there. Send out Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio's got a fucking beef with the NWO. Guys that we know are in the building. It's less about the idea that Savage got beaten the fuck up. It's more, where was everyone else? I can live with the NWO walking off at the end. That was a big complaint I had amongst many, as you can probably tell. Um, Brian, who should have won this match, all, all being well? Because I think we come back to the finish, and if anything, the worst possible combination was the least important guy in the match, e.g. Fake Sting, picking up a win over Lex Luger. That seemed incredibly strange to me. <laughs> it's the highlight of uh, Cobra's career. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, but, but in the grand scheme of things, if the NWO were going to win, surely, surely give the win to one of the other three. Yeah, I, I do agree on that front. Uh, I, I would have thought WCW was going to win this. Like I said earlier, it would just seem like that's just the easy way to go. Give WCW the win, give WCW the victory here with Sting standing tall. But I'm okay with the NWO winning at this point. If you'd seeing how Sting walked out and basically maybe a tease of him joining the NWO, if that's what they really want to go into, if they're going to go after him now that he's turned his back on WCW, that might be all right. Rory, same question. One on the fact that Fike Sting is the least interesting of the four people on the NWO team, but I still think he had to be involved in the finish somehow, no matter how convoluted and confusing it was, as we as we discussed just now. Can, can, can I offer make... an alternative solution? Or an alternative way? Sorry to cut you off, Roy, but it's just... Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Go, go, go. Sure, surely Sting, real Sting, real Sting's involvement in this match should have been killing off fake Sting. If he'd have done that yep. and then walked out, and I know it's not, you know, then you've got the NWO with the numbers game, but the NWO have been fucking winning battles where they're behind, let alone level... Forget the fact that they might be in front. But wouldn't it have made more sense? Sting comes out there, beats the piss out of the fake Sting, buries in between the two rings, and then fucks off. Would that not have made a lot more sense? I like that. I really like that because you're, you're getting fake Sting involved and you're also getting rid of him, so it's win-win for me. Um, as it, yeah, I really like that idea. 
as it stands, all I will say is WCW had better start winning something soon because this is going to get one-sided in a, if it isn't already, in a real hurry. And that's going to start turning turning people off. But the final question is, Roy, should they have won tonight? I mean, I, I, I look at it, we're in the Carolinas, we're in Flair country, we're in Horseman country, in front of an audience that really, really want to see them win. And the NWO has been on a tear for the last 10, 11 weeks. Was this not a time? As I say, it would have been a bit piss weak if fake Sting slash the one, two, three kid, if we're going to call him six now, whatever, slash the weakest guy in the match should have won the match. Had have lost the match, and, and and that's how Team WCW would have won. But surely, like if if when if ever there was a time, if ever there was a match, if ever there was a place to give WCW some hope, and this comes back to this whole match and this whole angle, this was it. And I just think WCW should have won the match, whether whether you do the Sting angle or not. Have WCW win the match? Give us some fucking hope. Okay. Um... You could still do, and in fact, it might even have been more of a payoff if you, they did the aftermatch, uh, Savage beatdown after WCW had uh, won the match. Because at the moment we had WCW, we had the Giant beating Savage, we had WCW winning the War Games match, and we had them destroying Savage and standing tall at the end of the show. Now that's, that, that's, that's 3-0, that's, that's, that's a whitewash. So, Yes, perhaps, because I, I want to see WCW start winning some bloody matches here. War Games would have been a good place to start. Um, it would have probably been somebody on the on the WCW team pinning fake Sting, so it almost would have been a bit of a Purick victory. But it, at least it would, thinking out loud here, at least it would have been something. Because if they don't win here, you know, when do they? Brian, any more to add to that? I know we've discussed this for quite a while, but uh, you can tell uh, my tail's up about it. <laughs> um, I have really nothing else to add. You guys have covered it all. Yeah, um, I, I think Rory was right. The NWO won this 3-0. Uh, and, and I, you know, as much as I probably had even more problems with the with the post-match stuff, that was the bit to win. I would have done that differently, but I would have had the NWO standing tall at the end. But I would have had WCW winning the match because you've got to give them something. And then I would have just sacrificed a few guys just in the name of, you know, as I say, like, we talk about making guys. Say it's just Benoit. Say it's just Benoit. Let's pretend, let's pretend everyone else has gone home. The, the Benoit and fucking Mongo aren't going anywhere fast while well, their other two guys are in the ring, right? Send out Benoit, have him beat up Fake Sting, have him beat up, you know, whoever else is there, have him run through Hall and Nash, they're a bit tired, and then have him get run over by the giant and get disposed of by everyone else. Have him be the honourable honourable hero that gets downed, you know, in battle. You end up with exactly the same thing and you make Benoit look like a fucking badass. And I bet the crowd would have gone with that. I bet the crowd at that stage in the game would have really, really gone with that. But I just feel like the the NWO angle is so big, they might be able to overcome it. But to me, the NWO angle is so big, pay a bit more attention. 
just because there's so much so much going on and because we're all so shit that people are going to watch you come what may just because all that's going on pay a bit more attention put a bit more thought into all of this right now and you know to an extent we talk about Hulk Hogan's pull over the rest of the decision making. Apparently, interesting tidbit, Hogan wanted to pile driver Elizabeth. Um, they nixed that because they didn't think Turner would take too kindly to the idea, and I think they were right on that one. But this whole NWO angle is going up against the backdrop of Hulk Hogan is calling all the shots, and not only is Hulk Hogan calling all the shots, he's calling a lot of the shots quite late, which means that they're having to rush and come up with incomplete stuff. But it's like... You know, it's my overriding frustration with Hogan. You can be selfish and give a little more up because the more you give up, the bigger the angle gets. And the bigger the angle gets, the more money you make. So it's like, look, lose the match, have the post-match beat down, build some heat on yourselves again because WCW looks stronger. And it means when the rematch comes around, Hogan and Savage is bigger. Don't beat the fuck out of Savage twice in 20 minutes and then wonder why next month people don't buy the show because they don't think there's a challenge. That was my overriding thought. But yes, as you can tell, I had quite a lot to say about this match and it's still a fucking long time to go in this show. Uh, Rory, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. Uh, say first two hours, not not without their flaws, in my opinion, but a really excellent watch. Uh, couldn't really take your eyes off it for a second. Some some absolutely terrific action. Everybody going out there, uh, giving it their all, in my opinion. And um, I certainly recommend everybody watching uh, the first two hours of the show if you can. Uh, after that, I say in ring wise, it does get a bit patchy, but there's still a lot going on and a lot to take in. And indeed, a lot to discuss with your friends about, as we proved here for the last 20 minutes, just talking about the main event. So, a pay-per-view that has a lot of excellent in-ring action on the undercard, followed by uh, big storylines, uh, possibly um, laying groundwork for future big storylines to be paid off and, uh, and or extended in the future, and a lot of uh, major talking points, then you've got a really excellent pay-per-view. Now, I gave Bash at the Beach uh, 8 out of 10, which I thought, perhaps looking back now, I, I might have slighted that a little bit. So whilst this one was not a perfect show, because the last hour from an in-ring perspective uh, was a bit of a letdown, for me, this was the best WCW pay-per-view I've seen this year. So I'm going, despite its flaws, it's almost an absolute must-watch. I'm going a high 8.5 out of 10. Interesting. Brian? Eight and a half out of ten. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a solid eight out of ten on my side of things. I enjoyed this pay-per-view immensely. There were a handful of low points throughout the entirety of the uh, the, the show. The one match in particular, I guess, would be the Ice Train versus Scott Norton match. That didn't really go anywhere for me. But overall, there wasn't really any kind of dull moments. There weren't any kind of major points that I just felt completely bored with the action inside the ring. And... I, I think I'd agree with Rory again here that this was the best pay-per-view I've seen out of WCW in a while. So, 8 out of 10 from me. Yeah. Um, 
I would say the Great American Bash was fractionally better. I mean, I, I'm more of an angles guy than I'm a match guy. Um, and the one thing, the one slight negative about the first two hours of the show, but a lot of it was really good action, didn't really mean anything. Um, one thing they really got right about the Great American Bash was they tried, I think, three angles and they pulled them all off. Um, but as I say, as a wrestling show, the first two hours of this are pretty much flawless, pretty much. Um, the criticism more is that what does it matter? And then we get the main events, which, as we've discussed for about the last half an hour, um, if not a bit more, there's a lot going on. Some good, a lot bad. Uh, I gave the show a seven and a half out of ten in that there were just too many potholes towards the end. Too many things just really make you scratch your head. And for all the talk of, you know, for all you might say, Bob, what about the really good wrestling that, that comes up front? I've kind of forgotten it all come the end of the show. Like, I'm kind of sat here now going, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what matters at the end of the show? And it was everything after the tag match was what mattered. And everything that mattered had massive holes in it, massive holes, and massive things that you're just going, what the hell have you done there? And that's, you know, it's like... I don't know what it's like, but it's it's like a really good movie where the ending doesn't make any sense. You're like, well, the story was quite good, but this is how you finished it. And how you finished it in many ways is the most important part. Um, and I didn't think they finished it very well. But still, 7.5 out of 10. And as Rory says, this is a must-watch show. There are some shows where you're like, 7.5 out of 10 is good. Skip it. Don't skip this one. Watch it. You'll get some good action with enough talking points. And then the main event with a lot of talking points. We open up Nitro on September the 16th with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco running down the happenings from last night's War Games with Tony giving a personal apology to Sting. Coming tonight we have the Nitro debut of Glacier and we start with a Cruiserweight title match, Mysterio retaining with a mental reversal off the top rope powerbomb into a Hurricane Rana. Outside, the NWO gang gets bigger as dozens of young guys clad in black and white pass out flyers. Benoit and McMichael call out Luger after last night's sting antics. We hear from Glacier for the first time, talking about his heritage. Dallas Page takes on Ice Train and we magically miss the entire finish due to a jump cut to an outlaw NWO merch stand being set up. Although the finish was actually horrendous, uh, where the ref, Page and Ice Train got into it by the ring ropes and Paige jumped and grabbed the towel off of Teddy Long who was also on the apron threw it over Patrick's head who called for the DQ thinking that Long had thrown the towel in in the crowd we see the 123 kid in a Doors t-shirt Tony and Larry speculate and mention the WWF by name Connor retains the AAA title against Super Callow and we then hear from the kid Brad Armstrong gets a win over Hugh Morris as we lead into hour number two we hear from the Macho Man talking about his shot against Hogan's title next month at Halloween Havoc. Out back, the NWO celebrate their win with the B Sting. Thanks for that, Dell. Flash Norton gets a wing over Savage as the weak chair shots do give a DQ in this one. Big Bubba gets his karate kid puns in before his match with Glacier. Glacier's entrance actually comes with indoor snow. The commentators try to make him sound like a big deal. And only the lights stay dimmed in blue for the entire match. Bischoff is loving the kick calls. Glacier gets a win with a standing sidekick. That was that then. 
Sting comes out to talk about WCW, turning his back on him whilst having his back to the hard camera. He says he'll stand by those who believe in him, but the doubters can stick it. He now believes himself to be a free agent. Jericho and Bagwell team up to do their best wham impression. Anderson and Flair have a stalled entrance, leaving a scared Liz, Liz backstage. Ringside, the 123 kid pushes a novelty remote button and NWO flyers fall from the rafters. Seriously, there were loads of them. Jericho puts in a shift to cover for Bagwell. Out back, the NWL welcome kid on board as they show last week's sting voice was a recording. Boom rakes Bagwell's eyes behind Nick Patrick's back. Ric Flair gets the win with the figure four. Luger comes out alone to face Benoit and McMichael in the main event. Lex gets heavily worked over, manages to get Benoit in the torch rack before Flair and Anderson run out to make it four on one. Outside, the NWO recruit their own cameraman, the kid is rebranded as six. And next week, they say everyone in WCW is going to Japan, so why don't we take over? I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane flying from L.A. to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro. And I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people... I saw wrestlers, I saw commentators, and I saw best friends doubt the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. Took a little, so little symbolism I heard Lex Luger here. say, we our backs on him, I know I where he lives, I know where he works out, I'm going to go get it. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night, and what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face-to-face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And what I got out of that was, no, Sting, I don't believe you, Sting. Well, all I gotta say is, I have been mediator, I have been babysitter for Lex Luger, I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, and I don't I like carry the tone the of this WCW at all. Banner. And I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people okay, I mean, that he's... never doubted the stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that Uh-oh. doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger. From time to time, I'm going to pop in when you least 
expected. And we come out of the first TV report. We're going to split each one here because there's there's different bits for discussion from each one. Uh, I think we can finally properly discuss the sting angle because it was it was difficult. I didn't want to discuss the first bit because it it, it didn't really make sense without the context of the pay per view. Um, but the the sixteenth uh, of Nitro, sixteenth September Nitro is the last show that we see Sting on for the month, and we get that promo um, where Sting is stood basically with his back uh, opposite the hard camera or back. Facing the hard camera, sorry, facing the opposite way. Um, so they kind of half shoot it from there and then half shoot it from the side so you can see Sting talking to the fans, which I quite liked. And Sting, amongst other things, and basically when I talk about how kind of uneven this angle was, was that the story they were going with was that Sting was in Japan, but they didn't seem to tell Sting that. So the version of events that Sting portrayed on Nitro was that, well, I flew it to Atlanta that evening, I watched on TV and I thought, you know what, Luger said that he knows where I hang out, I'm going to lay low for a while and see what happens. That was a bit weak, but we get to the end and Sting says, for those who stuck by me, I'm with you all the way, but if you had doubts, like my best friend, then you can stick it. Um, Roy, this is really interesting because much like the giant turning, or somewhat like the giant turning, it's quite an interesting angle, yet I feel it's at the detriment of their babyface roster and of the character involved. Very well put. Um, by the sounds of it, it looks as though Sting will be saying, was it all turn up when you least expect it? I mean, that could mean anything, and it might mean he's gone for a very long time. And if so, then the babyface roster looks incredibly weak, and they can't afford that to happen at this point. Um, so I hope they've got themselves some sort of out on this one coming up fairly soon. I mean, he didn't appear, as I said in the news, he didn't appear again for the rest of the month. But, um, so we need to get their story straight on that one, as they didn't really deal with why Sting was not in Japan in Japan last week, uh, the week of the pay-per-view, and uh, when he tried to describe probably where he'd been for the last seven days, um, that's something they just about managed to sort out. But I thought the promo itself was actually really good. I think Sting's done some really good promo work in the last few months. His impersonation of a shark at the expense of Ric Flair two years ago at Clash of the Champions seems a very long time ago now, thank goodness. And he's doing some excellent work on the mic, so it's actually a bit of a shame to see him go. Uh, he did his best with a rather muddled storyline. I thought his, his ending line was impersonation of a shark at the expense of Ric Flair? Can you not remember that? Um, Clash of the Champions uh, in June 1994, uh, the unification title match when... Sherry eventually turned and sided with Flair. Uh, I can't be, I mean, I'm, I can, it's playing out clear in my head now, unfortunately. Sting did a promo towards the start of the, uh, I think it was after the first match. It was the situation where they, if you remember, they, on main events, they accidentally showed the wrong tape. So they announced Flair as world champion before he actually won it. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sting came out there to try to, to try to cover for that. So you know, I suppose what his promo he did this month, he's got experience here, um, and trying to cover up the WCW's uh, snafus. So, I thought so you were about him. John Tenter. No, 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 not not not, not, <laughs> the, not the shark. Come on now. Uh, and Sting called himself, "I'm a great white shark," and I'm, uh, well, impersonated a shark basically, and uh, 
Yeah, so, <laughs> so yes, there you go. No, check check out the tape if you can, ladies, ladies so, and gentlemen. Sorry so um, to cut you off mid-flow there, Rory. I just had a complete blank. But yeah, that's coming back to me now. They they ended up showing the the control centre for that was taped for after the clash, before the clash. And so Sting had to pretend that it was mind games by Flair um, that they'd put a control centre in that already said Flair had won, despite the fact that the control centre had already predicted all the other results correctly. But, you know, these must sometimes. Brian, uh, before I cut Rory off, um, yeah, thoughts on the Sting stuff? I like Sting, and he had a good promo here, but there's a bit of a uh, passive-aggressiveness, uh, bitchiness coming from Sting where... Yeah, Lex Luger says some bad things about me, and he doesn't trust me. He doubts me. Yet I walked away for a week and just didn't contact him at all throughout this entire time. That ex- explanation is super weak. You would figure if there's some kind of disagreement or some kind of thing where you upset your quote-unquote best friend, you would immediately find a way to step in and fix things. But for him, he decided to walk away for seven days and just show up at the pay-per-view to let him know on camera, hey, that wasn't me, man. That, I don't know why you're saying this about me. And to hold such a, a grudge against them, it just seems a bit odd coming from Steam. Yeah, you know, when I talk about at the end of the pay-per-view about important storylines and making them really watertight, um, this is a really, really important storyline. And that explanation was piss weak. You know, the idea that he was in Japan wasn't a great storyline, but it at least excused it because the whole point was, well, why didn't Sting contact Luger at any point? Well, you know, I know he said, well, you know, I looked at that and I went, well, you know, maybe I'm going to lie low for a week. And I kind of went, why would Sting do that? What? Why would good guy Babyface Sting see the NWO, this big evil group, impersonating him? And putting his best friend in a position where he might think, his best friend might think that he's he's turned his back on him. Why would Sting's first reaction be, I know, I'm going to let Luger believe it. it. What, you know, and that's the big thing. We can come back to the angle now. We talk about the angle. And the angle was quite well done. They took DBRC to the limo. They had DBRC open the limo door, but we didn't see inside. And then they played some kind of hack-together Sting promos that made it sound like Sting was speaking. You know, I watched that, and, you know, knowing that it wasn't the real Sting, kind of went, yeah, I can tell this is fake, but it's quite a convincing angle. And then Luger arrives. It's pissing it down with brains. A fair play to Luger in wrestling gear, getting beaten and piss out of war. It's hammering it down. Sting steps out the thing. You know, they have a quick stare off, which was quite important to the story of Sting and Luger being able to, you know, look each other in the eyes or fake Sting. And then the attack happens, etc., etc. Why would, why would Sting watch that and go, you know, and they had the promo later on where Luger says, I know where Sting hangs out. I'll go and find him. Why did, what, Brian, any input on that? I, I completely agree. It just seems to be something completely out of character for the Stinger. Any more? No. No, fair enough. No, I, I think that's just, uh, that's, that's a big gaping hole in this entire thing at the moment is that, you know, as effective as all this was, um, it's just, a real big question mark. Uh, we appear to have lost Roy. We'll just have to 
carry on. Rory, just keep charming in. We'll see if we can hear you. Um, but Brian, I, I, I guess the other big question is, is what did you think of uh, the actual idea of turning Sting? What did you think of that kind of thought process? Because I kind of, I look at it all and I go, okay, you know, although in turning Sting, they're not turned informally, but giving him this edge. Because I look at that angle, an input on the angle if you wish, and then you read the reports coming out of the Observer, and 700,000 homes turned out within 15 minutes of that angle concluding. Brian, if you're WCW, does that not go, hello, maybe we need to change up? <laughs> it, it definitely would. I, I don't know how I actually feel about the idea of Sting turning into another NWO white, another Hogan follower. He is the constant at WCW. Him and Flair are icons for World Championship Wrestling. For an NWO to get him, it would be a major, massive get, but then you would risk everything falling apart for WCW because the NWO would be too stacked at that point. Sting himself, I'm actually a bit surprised that the NWO didn't show up at all during this promo. They they didn't just try to recruit him right then and there. And I don't know if that's what they're leading to. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's where they're going to go. No, I think if they were going to put Sting with the NWO, they would have just put him with the NWO. I think the idea, by the looks of things, is that they're going to have his character change a little bit um, and that he's going to be a bit more of a lone wolf, which isn't necessarily the worst idea. I just feel like, okay, do that, but do that when you've got about four or five other baby faces that can be more traditional baby faces. I don't know that I'd be getting all of that, you know creative quote-unquote um with sting when i don't have many other baby faces but i i thought the angle before the pay-per-view was good you know i'm good like good as in like a, a movie that i can admire even if i don't you know think it was a particularly great story um i just feel once those numbers came in they should have gone hmm maybe let's just reverse this because it would have been fine as a one-week angle sting's not there say he's in japan and then we get to the thing at the weekend and just say, look, that's what happened. Um, but yeah, that was about it. Right. Uh, we, I think we have Roy back with us. Uh, Roy, you heard all of that, even though you were for a while unable to speak to us. Uh, chip in about anything we discussed regarding Sting. Uh, I, I was saying that, um, as good as the promo was, yes, it was a, it was a, a, a rot of mismatch with the storyline and the one they settled on was, uh, was indeed pretty weak. Um, I, Really did like the scene for when we got to see the fake sting with the rain coming down. I thought that was a, I thought that was a, a, just a great stroke of luck, and they went with it. I felt like they should have had a shot in black and white with Cavalier Rusticana playing in the background or something. But I thought that was really, really good, and that really added to added to the vibe. Although Luger still should have known that that wasn't the real sting, but never mind. Um, Yes, as I was saying earlier, um, it might work in the context of a story they're trying to tell with this slighted, annoyed, semi-tweener Sting who's going to just sod off for a while and come back when he feels like it. But they can't afford to drop their numbers down too much. And 
I don't think they can afford to have him gone for long, be gone for long, even if it means they have to tweak the story a bit. Yeah, I mean, an edgiest thing isn't necessarily the worst idea. We've had, you know, as, as Anderson said in one of his prayers, we've had Sting as this white meat baby face for as long as anyone can remember. And ever since Hulk Hogan's been there, he's kind of hit this ceiling. Now, we say all that, if anything, you would figure the two to three months following Hulk Hogan shifting away from the number one babyface spot would be the time just to go full steam ahead with a, a full-on babyface Sting. Sting with a bit more of an edge long-term may be an improvement in that if he's a bit more of a character that's, you know, doesn't accept any shit, I feel like that's going to be the character that wins over the NWO. I don't feel the second coming of Hulk Hogan's going to beat the NWO. you kind of got to beat him at their own game to an extent. Um, it just seems a bit of a risk to at a time where you've already turned the giant who was a heel but could have been a big baby face to compromise another one of your big baby faces because the drop off behind say Luger Flair, Savage, and to an extent Arn Anderson, and two of those guys have just turned. The drop-off from those guys to what follows is pretty steep. And if you're going to make the NWO bigger and bigger, you're going to need bodies to oppose them that fans care about. And I don't think they've got that right now. That's why I'd question it. Um, And yeah, as I say, the logic behind him seeing it on TV and doing fuck all about it is really weak. And if you're going to change direction with a, a, a character like Sting, I don't think they're going to turn him heel. No. Um, you know, I don't really think it makes any sense. But anyway, it really makes sense that the NWO would just start getting over his baby faces. But if you're going to do what they did, you've got to be so, so good. And they're just not. Uh, that's not a great story. It's, oh, you know, watch on TV. I thought I'd make him sweat on it for a week. I went there, confronted him. Luke didn't believe me, and then we, we got all the stuff. We got the pay-per-view. Anyway, about Glacier, shall we? Um, Brian, in the pay-per-view, we spoke at quite a lot of depth about a lot of guys on the show that were quite good, that had no depth and had no backstory. These Glacier promos have been going for fucking months. Like, early April was when I think they first started teasing these. Um, And he finally debuted, and guess what? The crowd reacted. And I've seen Glacier twice now, and I think he's really good. Not in the sense that he's a really great wrestler, but, Brian, I don't know about you, but I really like this, this character in this debut. He's definitely different. He stands out completely when compared to everyone else on the roster. And it was very weird to hear it was a big Baba call him out in the middle of this promo. I didn't realize that's what they were going to go towards. But sure enough, big Bubba Rogers versus Glacier of all people, of all things that happen, uh, his Kung Fu mastery, I guess you could say, was pretty impressive. I, it's, it's a strange character and he's something out of a, they, they're not really talking too much about it, but it's obviously it's something based out of a Mortal Kombat video game, which is, I, I guess it's fine. I, I don't know if you could really knock that. I guess it's kind of cool. What do you think but, of the entrance? Well, that is what the character, I mean, that's what makes the character. It's this long, overblown entrance where you got the glitter, the 
the fake snow coming out to the ring. You got him doing his kung fu gymnastics. It's it is amazing. Rory, it was amazing. I so say we, we've been having um, a mini glacier. Uh, he's coming promos for say for months now, three months, possibly even longer than that. Well, the first one was early April, I think. I, I, I think we we saw more not... about the character. I think kind of end of May, early June, which was when I think they were going to debut, and then something's <sighs> happened. And it's been ages. I mean, that is a... The, Brian, the reason he faced Bubba was that Bubba got on the mic and said, where the hell is this guy? And I kind of went, well, yeah, he's right. Yeah, Sorry, very, very fair question, actually. Uh, and you know what? All this waiting, and it, it paid off because we were getting clips, and getting slightly longer clips. We still weren't really absolutely sure what we were going to get. But we, what we got was, it was great. We got a guy who is already clearly so into this character. He had it Whatever what was we were discovering almost along with him in a way what the character was, but he was there. He he absolutely got it, and the the just the, just the little things, the match being bathed in a in a blue light glow. Is it a little bit silly? I suppose it is, but hey, it fits the character, and character is so important in normal. And it's memorable. Person. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, to jump ahead of myself, the the night on the the thirtieth, twenty ninth. It's an incredibly boring show because it's just match, 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 match. They intersperse some pre-tape NWO segments, which the people in the building didn't see, which is a bit weak because they don't have a video wall yet. They are looking at buying one, but that won't be for a few months. Um, you know, in, in amongst a load of matches that are incredibly forgettable, I talk about the heat. And the Nasty Boys not being the quote-unquote best wrestling match. But I remembered the Heat and the Nasty Boys a lot more than I'm going to remember some of the other matches in, in the undercard. And if I'm watching Nitro, I'm going to remember this Glacier match far more than I'm going to remember, you know, Mike Enos and Chris Jericho. Um, and, you know, it helps with the mood lighting. But I, you know, I don't think he's going to be the... I don't think he's going to be a main event actor or anything like that. But, you know, uh, and, and look, please don't take this seriously in the way you might think. Undertaker, for a long-ass time, has just been an entrance. Yep. Undertaker proves you can be popular just off a really fucking cool entrance. This could be that. You know, we talk about Mortal Kombat, something that's quite contemporary. Um, It could work. I think, you know, one thing I really loved was that, you know, he was doing the Mortal Kombat stuff, so it was very kind of stop-start, and he was very much kind of bobbing and weaving, you know, people kind of diving at him, which was really quite cool as well. If they can get the right opponents for him, he could get over quite quickly. He may not, but, you know... If we're going to talk about just a weekly segment on Nitro, Glacier comes out, pops the crowd, and he just wins a squash match in three minutes, does some cool kung fu stuff, and then buggers off. I think it'll work. Go with it. Just, just, just yeah. if you've got some, if you've got something like that, like I said earlier, go with it. The crowd were into it, and again, if you're going to, if you capture lightning in a bottle, do everything you can to keep it there. Um, they, they could have. I say he's, he, he's he's not going to be main event any pay per views, of course not. Um, I think I think we already all know that. But go with what you've got. Fantastic. Shivoni starts the September 23rd Nitro by announcing the WCW Tour of Japan, meaning most of the roster being overseas, and then shows a newspaper ad bought by the NWO. Sabisco calls them parasites and bills to the presence of Macho Man. 
First up, Conan the Taskmaster take on Brad Armstrong and Hoovy. Sullivan pulling off the tank for the last minute to steal the win. The dungeon then turn on Conan and do a beatdown post-match. Jimmy Hart then says it's an initiation before Conan says to the camera he's Dungeon of Doom. Macho cuts a quick promo saying him getting battered by the NWO isn't cut in stone. Jericho gets a solid win over Mike Enos. Pat Tanaka comes out with some pretty cool ring music to take on Glacier. The martial art expert wins, which, well, apparently in this case is Glacier. Shivoni announced as Glacier extended his winning string. Yes, Tony, we love some stringy bacon. The public enemy take on Harlem Heat. Booker misses the hangover and Rocco gets the small package. Sloppy ending where they try to do a reverse on the package and Booker clearly pins Rocco Rock. But the enemy are announced as the new tag team champions. Johnny and Rocco celebrating the crowd to end our number one. Starting with a bang, Greg Valentine kicks off the second hour. Macho gets disqualified for using the chair and the hammer gets the win. The NWO charge to take out Savage and we see a distraught Liz in the entranceway. Giant comes out in the largest waistcoat I've ever seen to introduce Hollywood Hogan. After taking a big leg, Savage gets whipped with Slim Jims. Hogan then spray paints Nacho Man's bald spots. They then take over the commentary desk and bring out their new head of security. Vince, you may remember him as Virgil. Back from commercial, the outsiders sit at the desk with a petrified Bischoff. They then bring out their own branded NASCAR racing car. Jumping Jim Powers takes on Wall Street. Scott Hall saying how good Powers looks. Almost juiced. Giants on ring announcing duty. Hogan trawls backstage, tagging the wall, singing Hooray for Hollywood, while the outsiders beat down the Powers. Next, Big Ron Studd gets jumped in the aisle and Six gets drafted to face in Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Giant takes down Duggan on the outside to get the win for Six. NWO bring out their own jobber, Bo Ledoux, to face NWO Sting. B Sting, that's Dell, gets the win with a Scorpion Deathlock. Outside, the Outsiders beat High Voltage in the main event. We see highlights from the last hour and that closes out our first ever NWO Monday Nitro. Am I a marked man? Is that what you're thinking? Well, let me tell you something, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Whatever it takes, if you're going to cheap shot me every night and every day, before we get to Halloween Havoc, that's not going to change anything because I'm going to take you down because I'm the last hope for the WCW. Otherwise, the entire wrestling world is going to be turned upside down. You're threatening to make that happen. And another thing, let's get the record straight right now. The whole WCW, the majority of them were booked in Japan. And I was booked in Japan too. But I took myself out of there. Not because I've got any unbelievably stroke or anything. I just felt that I needed to be a nitro. Because it's not cut in stone whether you're going to beat me up or I'm going to beat up the whole NWO tonight. And about Elizabeth, let me tell you something. Not this lifetime, not the next lifetime, or maybe the only thing we got in common is that about 100,000 lifetimes away from now, we might be the same goldfish swimming in the same water. Now, nothing makes sense, but I'm going to tell you something that does. Halloween Havoc is very scary, and I'm not scared. And Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I take this responsibility to wipe you out. Understand that? So we come on to the September the 22nd Nitro. 
noteworthy most of all, uh, what an interesting match with Man Pro you've just heard. But noteworthy most of all for the second hour that was basically turned into quote unquote NWO Monday Nitro with the majority of the WCW roster being out in Japan. They decided just to have NWO take over. Um, and it's basically, but I kind of advise you watch it. I'm not necessarily saying it's brilliant, but uh, you know, better than me, what, better me tell you watch it than describe it. But basically, they all rocked up at the building just before nine o'clock because, of course, we're all about to start. Um, and, and this was the night of the big reveal of, uh, of fake Razor Ramon um, on the other channel. Um, and then. They kind of ambush uh, the country desk. They hold Bishop hostage with Vincent, a.k.a. Virgil, as their chief of security. Although I must admit, the idea of Eric Bishop not being able to take Virgil didn't uh, take me back a bit, but I guess it makes sense. And then we basically have them take over the show. Um, it was, there were no name guys on the show really at all. We had the giant ring announcing. I've got something to say about that in a bit. Um, and basically, the NWO for second hour just took over the show. They were on commentary all the time. DBRC went back to what usually on Raw, bit of colour commentary. Um, and the guys kind of got involved. Um, and Brian, I got to the end of that hour and went, okay, we tried it. It was quite funny. Giant had a bit of fun. Kevin Nash had a bit of fun. But let's never do this again. <laughs> uh, it was a bit of an abysmal hour of professional wrestling. It seemed completely out of place, but yeah, it was a neat experiment. Uh, the, the, the matches you had, we saw the debut of Six against, uh, who, who did he fight against? Uh, he got destroyed by Hacksaw Jim Duggan, which is weird. Uh, the, the, the fact that they had Jim Duggan pretty much destroy Six and the Giant is the one who pretty much saved them and the NWO ref counted the win for six. Neat experiment. I don't want this to be a weekly occurrence. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, Saturday night, and admittedly Saturday night's not night, so you know, a few people are watching it and we're not. Um, but, you know, this kind of, we'll discuss this more at the end, but this kind of wraps into everything else, which is just kind of the thought that the NWO works when they're the outsiders. When it's, you know, when there's literally no hope. And in the third hour, there was no hope. There was no WCW, you know, once they've beaten Savage up, there was no hope for anybody. Um, yeah, anyone watching the WCW was going to have an answer. Once you've lost hope, Rory, as a viewer, there's just nothing left. This is it. It's, uh, as a, it, it almost felt like a bit of a novelty. It, it felt like, they hadn't written much for the show, so we might as well give this an opportunity to have the, the NWO do stuff for an hour. Uh, and I, I didn't, I enjoyed it on very few levels. Actually, just went on too long. I didn't like the thing of that I'm holding Bischoff semi-captive. I didn't want to see Virgil, Vincent, whatever you call him, anywhere near my TV screen ever again, as well. And it was a very, very long hour. And it was, wasn't it? It was about 45 minutes if you take out the commercials. This was, uh, the the in-ring action was non-existent. There's nothing there at all in-ring. I mean, even, at least uh, when, when when Ted DiBiase pretending to put over Jim Powers on commentary is one of the most memorable parts of an hour. You know you've got problems. <laughs> but it was just too repetitive. I mean, the giant doing the ring announcing, yes, it was amusing the first time. It was pretty annoying the 57th time. 
and it 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 didn't work. And again, just made just made it look NWO NWO NWO. And if they are having this idea of an hour worth of equivalent Saturday night or something like that, then I hope that they reconsider. I think even just tucking it away on Saturday night won't really help them. It's just making it look all things NWO all the time. And even though the whole point of the NWO is in trying to form their own organisation out of WCW, they just cannot push it too far at this stage. If, if they keep doing that, they're just gonna they're gonna end up killing it. And uh, that yeah, that's the whole point. Who knows? Like you know, in, in, in an NWO, yeah, we talk about the whole point of the NWO forming their ultimately forming their organisation. Well, that might be the whole point. They can't do it. You know, the idea is they're meant to threaten it, and then they, when they get to the point where they're just about to do it, they get cut off by the heroic WCW babyfaces. Because you can't have a show like this. This just wouldn't work. They've got to have people to fight, and they've got to have credible threats. Yes. And I, I, I given the scenario they were in, given what happened, given that most of the guys were in Japan, I don't necessarily disagree with what they did, or even how they did it. I don't necessarily think it was an ineffective hour. As I kind of said with Ryan a second ago, it was, you know, an interesting experiment. We've seen it. We've looked at the ratings. The ratings flattened out. And they weren't turning into war. They just turned off. Um, and it was like, okay, I get it now. We've seen it. You know, guys got to have their time, etc., etc. And then we got to the end. It was like, right, Let's not do this again. That was my overriding thought. Was it was an experiment? It made sense given the scenario they were in. But let's not go back there. Brian, any more thoughts? I mean, was there? You know, you've already mentioned Jim Powers. Yeah, was there any redeeming features in in, in Scott? You know, one thing I I think Scott Hall's going to be might be the MVP of this year. Given that you know we talk about a cool group, he's really the only cool guy in it. Um, was there any redeeming features from this? Was it at least entertaining from our perspective? Uh, here and there, they had, they had their moments. I mean, for God's sake, there was a Virgil chant that started up. How cool is that? Well, yeah, yeah, there is that. <laughs> uh, the other thing I'll bring up now, it kind of all happened on the 16th, uh, actually, as well. But we talk about the expansion of the NWR, we'll discuss that more from a personal perspective in, uh, in, in the next bit. But the introduction around the arena of multiple people in NWO gear flogging NWO stuff. Um, Brian, I quite like it because they need a, they need a rational excuse as to why people are able to get NWO merchandise so quickly. Um, but does the whole, going back three months, does the whole thing not feel really watered down at the moment? I, I do agree, especially if they keep adding one or two people every week, since at this point it's completely blown up. But there also could be a possibility they could be leading towards, like what you said earlier, NWO promotion. I guess you would need bodies within the NWO promotion. So with Hogan talking up to the Nasty Boys during that promo of his, maybe there are plans of just completely eradicating WCW and just running as their own independent promotion, which is super weird. But I don't know. That looks like that's what they want to do. What do you think about the expansion of the group, Brian? I mean, we're looking at a list of members now being Hogan Hall, Nash, Giant, DBRC, Six, Fake Sting, The Nasty Boys, Kyle Petty, Virgil, Vince. 
Um, and I may be forgetting someone I may not be. Um, there's about nine or ten people now. I'm not expecting Carl Petty to be around every week. Um, <laughs> but it feels, you know, it was always going to be difficult to expand because you couldn't keep bringing out a guy the level of Diesel Razor Ramon. But it feels a bit, it feels a bit like a letdown now. Like every new guy you are just feels like, ah, it's a bit less special, you know. You know, Scott Hall's cool. Diesel, Kevin Nash is kind of cool. Six is a bit of a wee. Fake Sting, I mean, like, we talk about Fake Sting, I don't know about Fake Sting at the paper. Yeah, Fake Sting has served his purpose now, right? Even if whatever happens with the real Sting, the fake one's pointless. Um, and then we have the Nasty Boys, which feels a bit weird. It just thought it didn't quite work. What do you think, Brian? There is a feeling of the NWO completely becoming bloated at this point. But I would assume that there's a reasoning behind this. I would assume that they actually are looking to, I guess, get an entire roster together where you have guys on top, then you got guys who can I, – I really don't know, to be honest, now that I'm thinking about it. The, the inclusion of the Nasty Boys and the – takeover of NASCAR racing, that seems to be a bit much to what the original idea of the NWO were, I guess just to take over the world of professional wrestling, but they, they're looking like they're trying to take over the entire world and at, there's no one that can stop them. If Sting's not around, who do you have? You got Savage, you got the Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom, the take on the NWO. That's kind of sad. Cool. It goes back to, it's sort of, sort of, sort of the other side of the coin from what I brought up earlier, that you can't overload it with too many absolute superstars too early. But then if you're going to keep making it look like the NWO are a, uh, another cyclical project, then you're going to need to add some people to them. So you're going to need to bring in some, let's say, lower card people to be charitable, whether they are Virgil or or the Nasty Boys, or, or whoever. I just wonder now, now they're bringing in, again, and admittedly only temporarily, I hope, uh, a NASCAR driver. Um, where, where Where is this going to stop now? Are they going to just sweep up uh, the entire mid-card? Are we going to see, see Hogan, because he sees himself as a bit of a celebrity out there in that there real world? Are we going to see more... You know, BC listers joining the um, joining the ranks whenever WCW pulls into their town for a week. It it could, and it hasn't got there yet, but it could end up getting a little bit silly. And that is absolutely not what this whole point of the NWO thing is. Because I'm still very much a believer in what the NWO angle is trying to do, and it's still very. Uh, I, I believe it's still very early days. I don't think we're going to see the end game for quite a while, whatever that ends up being. So there's still time to pull back. It's by not even close to failing yet. But again, they've got to tread carefully and they've got to rein in certain people who may, who may or may not have uh, a hefty dose of uh, creative control in this sort of thing. Rory, why do they need extra members? <laughs> That's actually... Because, like... because you, you, watch, you watch the... You know, you watch the first Nitro of the month. As, mu- as much as Giant came out and kind of surprised people by turning, they didn't need him. You know, but originally the original plan was that Giant was going to come out and save the day for the NWO who were getting beaten down by the four horsemen. 
and the dungeon. Of course, Hogan got involved. But now, nah, you know, the, the, the theory they presented was that you guys have just been resting for a while. You won't be as fresh. Uh, three on eight lads, that doesn't really work. You know, like, forget for people. People are, viewers aren't thinking conditioning when they're watching this kind of angle. Like. Um, and then, you know, if Giant comes out, so you've got a fourth guy. Why do you need extra guys if every step you win? Like, surely the idea should be that every time, you know, we talk about this when we, when we come to the following show, but every time the threat from WCW becomes stronger, that's when the NWO needs to react by adding more guards. Why are they adding more guards for at the moment? Why do they need Virgil as Vince as chief of security just to cover Eric Bischoff when they've got three guys that can't do it already? It's it's, uh, it's it's very true. But the, they've all, so when we go in two months and they win all the bloody time. So it is anyway. I mean, it's not as if they have anything to really shore up. And it's this this is what I mean. They can't let it drift away from its moorings at this stage. And I'm just I have my worries that that's already where we're starting to head, and it's starting to become. I'm going to say uh, an, an ego trip for certain people. Um, the, from, from a kayfabe and non-kayfabe perspective but almost we can have these people on our side and we're going to do it why? Huh. because huh. well why the hell not because we can and again that should not be the point and I, I think you put it absolutely perfectly there Bob NWO should strengthen when they think that WCW is strengthening against them not just for the hell of it by bringing in people you know, just for sheer weight of numbers it's they need to nip it in the bud quickly in my opinion but I and I hope I'm wrong, but I can only see it going in the opposite direction and more people just joining up, which is going to end up diluting it a lot, which would be a real shame because they've really got something special here. Don't ruin it, please. Brian, same question. I completely agree with what Rory said. There is a complete feeling of just uh, just a confusion, I guess, within the NWO ranks. You've got these guys who are coming in, like you said, a, a Virgil why would you bring in this guy to be the head of security whenever you've got other guys that can easily take over uh, Eric Bischoff and to have a guy, the CEO of the NWO security who isn't as menacing as a, the giant or isn't menacing as pretty much anyone else in the NWO right now. So yeah, a lot of that's confusing. A lot of that's just kind of head scratching, but I don't know what their plans are. I don't know what they're trying to get done with this, this uh, this mass introduction of all these new characters into the NWO. I'm not looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the next month and see who else joins them. If they actually get other people from the World Wrestling Federation or if they look to other people within WCW to join, it looks like it's just going downhill at this point. Well, at the rate of the expansion, they started the month at four, they ended the month at ten, so they grew by two and a half times. So, at the end of next month, they should be at 25 guys. Um, I think at that stage, it definitely would have got the shot. Tony Schiavone introduced us to Eric Bischoff on September 30th Nitro with an excellently delivered promo to live camera talking about the history of World Championship Wrestling and what a mistake it was to sign Hulk Hogan. El Tecnico and Hoover 2 Guerrero go up against the new tag champs, the public enemy to start. Tony tells us they'll be defending against the outsiders at Halloween Havoc. Funnily enough, Johnny and Rocco get the win here. Tecnico gets the tabletop. 
uh, gets on the table and gets put through it to chop it off. The NWO aired another paid-for promo, this time from their Marriott, Ho- Marriott Hotel suite. Next, Dean Malenko takes on Alex Wright, Malenko carrying Rey Mysterio Jr.'s mask, which he took on this week's Saturday night. Wright ducks a top-rope crossbody and rolls up Malenko for the win. Randy Savage plugs Slim Jim's commercial, uh, competition sorry, to win a cup monster truck in a commercial. Anything to keep them off of WCW's pay-per-view. More of the NWO Army go through the card with picket signs as Eddie Guerrero seems to beat Jim Powers in another sus call by Nick Patrick. Backstage, Arm and Woman are having a go at Miss Elizabeth for going out last week on her own, who still seems to be torn in her allegiances. Hugh Morris beats Brad Armstrong with a ridiculously good-looking moonsault, not once but twice. Arn Anderson comes out to face Chris Jericho, woman at his side but no Liz. She's watching for a monitor backstage as Arn takes control. Jericho counters with a second rope, drop into a drop kick and fires back. A springboard lariat at the top rope spinning elbow. Anderson dodges a line slot and nails a lovely DDT for the win. Jericho is definitely one to watch, just in case you didn't already know. Bischoff leaves the commentary desk, apparently on the hunt for the NWO. Backstage, Liz walks out with a, go- with a suitcase in hand. Luger's out to face Wall Street, who now goes from the initials VK to M. Spot the link there, fact fans. Luger picks up the win and match that went longer than Anson and Jericho. Go figure. Shivoni introduces a new Bush Grand National car painted with Sting's lightless as a peace offering. Yes, that actually happened. Meng and Barbarian get a win over the Rock and Roll Express. Barbarian with a kick to Gibson. The public enemy come out to get the Dungeon of Doom, but Johnny Grunge gets his leg work for the trouble. For his troubles. We cut again to grainy footage of the NWO's hotel, now joined by the Nasties and Hogan's son Nick, who apparently likes fast cars. Main event time, Chris Benoit out with McMichaels to take on Rick Steiner. Rick has Benoit set for a top rope suplex, but McMichael hits Steiner with his briefcase to get the win for Benoit. Last, we get a final NWO vignette. Hogan and Giants at either side of Liz and make her promises of Hollywood. As she leaves, Savage arrives in the hallway of the hotel in full Macho Madness mode as we go off the air. All right, thanks a lot, Tony. And you know, I want to make one thing very clear. First of all, you pointed out that, yeah, they slapped me around. Yes, the New World Odor, as Larry refers to it, did take over our broadcast booth. But listen, this isn't about Eric Bischoff. This is about the history of WCW and what that represents. This company's roots go back to 1905. Champions like Luthez, Terry and Dory Funk, Pat O'Connor, Dusty Rhodes. The names go on and on. It may not mean anything at all to Hulk Hogan to the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, to Ted DiBiase, to that 180-pound wimp they call Six. Maybe it doesn't mean anything at all to them, but it does mean a lot of things to a lot of people. It has got to stop. It is going to stop. And it's going to stop now because this company's not going to tolerate it. Not at the corporate level, not at the level here that all of us work at on Nitro to try to put together a program that people out there can enjoy. It's got to stop because it's not fun anymore. Nobody's entertained by it. The NWO is nothing but dirt bags from the bottom all the way to the top. And yes, that means you, Hulk Hogan. And yes, Eric Bischoff has been accused of making a whole lot of mistakes. And I admit that I have. And my relationship with WCW may have only lasted the last five or six years. But let me tell you something. The one singular mistake I ever made was bringing Hulk Hogan into WCW. And Hogan and the rest of you thugs, because that's all you are. 
you thugs. You want to come in here? You want to try to stop WCW? Well, we've worked too hard. We've worked too long. And gentlemen, and I use that word very carefully because it really doesn't apply. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Listen to me and listen to me now. It is going to stop. No more. Tony, Larry, take it back. All right, Eric, I guess that's the absolute final part of the month. I think this is the nitro that both Gold Bride seem very little lost. So I'll patch in the stuff where we need to. But there's not a lot from the show that we need to discuss other than, well, I say discuss, you've seen it. But other than that, the Eric Bishop promo that you, the listeners, will have just heard. Um, I, I won't feel on that until you guys haven't seen it. I watched that and went brilliant. And I went brilliant because the one thing we haven't really seen is a concerted effort from WCW. And the one thing we really needed to see was someone just grab the ball by the horns and say, right, this is how it is, this can't continue. I thought Bishop was brilliant in his opening promo. And then, Roy, for the rest of the show, I was sat there going, where was the response? Because, yeah, we, we, you know, we've got a part on the show already, I don't want to cover all ground too much. But this entire show, we've basically been saying, where is the concerted effort from WCW? And you would have figured the week after they'd all come back from Japan, and all that stuff had gone down on that show, that there would have been some kind of response. NWO were in their hotel in the Marriott, and that played into the angle with Randy Savage at the end of the show. Um, but it would have been nice to see some kind of WCW defence form. And instead, Rory, Cleveland got treated to just a load of really bad matches. Couldn't even see the end of your angles because there was no video ball. And at my biggest concern, no response from the team WCW or WCW roster. At some stage, for this angle to work, there needs to be a counterpunch. And right now, that just seems like an impossibility or doesn't seem like anything's happening. All things NWO all the time. <laughs> That's pretty much where it is at the moment. And I want to believe that if WCW can hit back, that they should hit back. And if it's just going to be a case where you get, a, I say, a promo from Bishop at the start, which is fine, but the rest of the whole show, which don't forget is still called WCW Monday Nitro, it's just going to be a selection of workaday nothing matches and five or six really, really, really hard to watch in every sense of the phrase uh, NWO skits in, in a hotel room, then that's not painting WCW in kayfabe terms in a very preferable light at all. It makes you wonder, are they really bothered? And I think, hang on, guys, um, your organisation's being taken over here. You know, your livelihood's are at stake. Um I want to care about this. Uh, I want to care about this battle. You need to care about this battle. And again, it needs to happen soon. It's not happening yet. Right. I'm guessing you could probably argue that with Sting turning his back on WCW, maybe the morale of the troops are at an all-time low. And quite frankly, I mean, can you blame them? I mean, do you see what's on television? It is the NWO all the time, 24-7 at this point. I don't know where they're going to go from here. I Like I just said earlier, it just looks like it's starting to decline. You can see the downfall of what's happening. And a year from now, will WCW even be around? I mean, it could just very well be the end of the O show. I just 
I wanted to see something, like, you know, it doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all. I just wanted to see some kind of organisation, some kind of, you know... The theme throughout the show, we don't often have morals on the show. And if there was a, a story to take away from this podcast, it would be every wrestling fan needs hope. Every WCW fan needs hope. And right now, they don't have any. And I know to an extent that's a wrestling trope. The heels are very, very well organised. The baby faces are. That's the jeopardy. But right now, I don't even know who the baby faces are. Mm-hmm. I feel like the big story from this is going to be a big blow up match between Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall against the team of a new sting, not the, not the fake one, not the real one is the current form, a new sting and a slightly different guys, Randy Savage, and of all people, Rick Flair, because I think the big payoff for this should be well, one, we're going to be trying to create a new style, but two, if we're not going to do that, let's have. Flair and Savage unite against the common enemy. I think that's a really strong storyline. But, you know, and you can take your time to get there. I'm not saying we need to end the NWO now. There's some months to go in this angle yet. But you've got to give me something to grasp onto. I mean, don't get me wrong, it helps that Raw's terrible at the moment. If I'm watching wrestling on Monday night, I'm going to watch Nitro come up May. But give me something to hold on to. And I love Bishop's promo at the start. I thought that was really nice. But let's see it in action. Let's see a response. And I kind of thought that on a flat nitro where NWO were away in the, the hotel thing and all that stuff, you could have had some promos from guys, the signers, you know, saying, we're not taking it anymore. That kind of thing. Do tell that kind of story where it's like, you know what, we're going to start to build, you know, we're going to start to build our own team. Team WCW is going to get back. Give me some hope. And they just haven't done it. That was my big complaint. Anyway, we started recording this show three hours and twelve minutes ago. <laughs> now, save, some, save some stuff that will get chopped in the edit. We're going to try to get the entrance of this show four minutes long, which is a rarity. Uh, this might well be the longest show we've ever done. Uh, Roy McNamara, who stepped in on about 28 hours notice, thank you very much. My pleasure, my man. It's been great. Yes, I'm going to put it where we just lost your mic. Um, but, you know, we have to, uh, we have to run these tech issues. Uh, Roy, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Yep, I'm on Twitter. You can get me there on Raw's DM. That is R-O-R-S-D-M. Uh, with that one to trivialise Roy's appearance. Brian Pereira, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always a blast. Um, you know, we, we have people of different viewpoints and different... Yeah, backgrounds on the show, etc., etc. But the one thing I always love having Brian on is just got a guy who's just nuts for WCW. Um, and if, Brian, if people don't know how much you are, tell them where they can find out just how into WCW you are. <laughs> you could go to WCWWorldwide.com. That's my main site, and that has so many WCW things. You can uh, just Everything there for the past month has just been me picking out random things about World Championship Wrestling that I like and want to write about, things that I don't think people really pay much attention to. So, like, one of the more more recent things is I try to have a complete look at the WCW Nitro Grill, a restaurant that existed for, I think, about a year and a half. So 
I went through and I scanned in the menu. I've got uh, photos of all the different merchandise, some of the stuff that I own, some of the stuff that people uh, online sent me, and even these great concept chart, uh, concept art of what the restaurant was supposed to look like versus what it ended up becoming. So just uh, stuff like that. I, I try to do something beyond just wrestling uh, and Nitro reviews. I want to just try to focus on some real unique things about World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I think you can leave it all there. Just, you know, you've got a free afternoon just dive into that site. I mean, you know, Ryan, have you completed the WCW magazine collection now? <sighs> At this point, I have one from 97 on missing. Uh, 95's complete. Um... Yeah, I think they have maybe like one or two from 97 I need to get. And then the entire run of the German WCW magazines. And other than that, I'm done. Have you, have you got anywhere, any leads in the German magazine for us? I remember that was a target six months ago when we had you on last. Uh, you were cutting out. Can you say that one more time? Um, have you, are you, have you made any progress gathering together the German editions of the WCW magazine? <laughs> no, no, it it is so weird. Like I've seen one or two people mention they have those for sale, and I try to contact them, and I never get anything back. So it, it's it's kind of hard to find these things, and it, it's I don't know. I'm I'm asking for anyone out there if you're listening and you got these things, you're willing to sell them to me. You know, hit me up on Twitter, WCW Worldwide. Never thought about there has never been more of a seller's market when it comes to WCW German editions of their magazine. Brian is a willing buyer if you're out there. Anyway, I'm just, I'm visiting the amount of editing I'm going to have to do and how long the show's going to be, but if you've got this far, thank you very much. Anyway, let's get some promotion in the 90s. First of all, we have now joined Patreon for those who don't know, you're going to get quite used to this by the coming months and shows. Uh, if you'd like to say thank you, if you got this far into the show, I think you'd be the kind of person that is mildly interested in this. But if you'd like to say thank you, chip in a couple of quid as a thank you for us, you know, filling your commute, filling your evenings, enlightening you, moaning, etc., etc. Uh, patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. You can donate any amount you like. What we've said, or what, what I said, uh, is that for five bucks a month, which is about four quid, I think, a month if you're in the UK, uh, you can chip in, and we're not going to have any levels above that, but for five bucks a month, you can chip in, and in response, we'll give you, in return, we will give you early access to shows, because we, we've recorded shows throughout the month. They all go online at once, but some are ready a lot earlier than others. So if you want early access to shows, you'll get them when they're ready. You can do that at patreon.com forward There's a link in the description, as I said, as I said before, as in all the shows. Um, we're not going to pay for any content. We might do the odd Q&A, and I have threatened Rory that we're going to go back and do Battle Bowl if we reach one goal. Now, so now. If, if you need to be... <laughs> If you need an incentive to donate, surely having us going back and doing the works on a Battle Bowl review. Don't listen to him. More because <laughs> Roy's going to have to be on that show. Like, Roy, you've not seen that show yet, have you? I have, I have somehow managed to restrain myself from watching Battle right. Bowl. How, I don't know. I, mean, I know you're so effusive in your praise of it. I mean, I'm quite worried now. In the, like, it's been three years since I've seen it, and it's been a kind of running gag on a show that doesn't really happen. 
It was really terrible, but I, I'm just wondering whether, like, I, I mean, in a Stockholm Syndrome kind of way, <laughs> we make a movie, well, it wasn't that bad. It, it, it was, it really was. Uh, but anyway, if, if you want us to suffer, that's the incentive to donate. Oh, well, Link in the description, patreon.com forward slash running wrestling 20 wires, all the info on there. Anyway, some other folks, certain volumes for you this month, volume 2, WF, we get in your house, mind games. We do discuss the fake razor and fake diesel angle at the on that side. Uh, there was some now 20 years ago, man. this is the whole famous thing where you know, Eric Bischoff backstage earlier in his third sentence at the time. But first they were shooting themselves that, that Kevin Nash has got all the return based on all the plugs. And so they end up signing Nash and Hall to huge raises. So uh, this man even gave the uh, two a parting gift on after they'd gone. That's volume two. Volume three is ECW. Uh, we discussed that. It, that show is a weird show. Uh, me, Kieran, and Chris go in. I'll be polite and say we were undercooked preparation-wise going into that show. So that basically just resembles a big production meeting where we, in, in the middle, discuss some ECW stuff. But, you know, that happened. And my thought is me and Chris White kind of taking our relationship to the world of MMA and UFC. I've just seen the time. Let's wrap this up, shall we? I'm just at Boy Brown, but you can find us on the website at Wrestling Twitter. Twitter at wrestling 3 rs on the web at wrestling 20 rscom patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs all the links from the website. I've been Bob Lambert, this has been volume one of the September 1996 edition of Wrestling 20 News in the podcast, and until next time, goodbye.